Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Upstate Unconventional. I'm your host, Nico, and I'm back after about two months, a little over two months of uh, a hiatus. Uh, I was a little burnt out on podcasting, but I also had a ton of stuff going on in my personal life. Just moved into a new house. I had to pretty much clear everything out of this new house, renovate it, paint it, fix some stuff, change some appliances. There's still some work to do. And then I had to actually move, you know, all my stuff in here. So it's, I've just been very busy and then work, kids being home from school. It's impossible to find time to do podcasting, but, uh, it's all right. It's a much needed break and I'm going to pick it back up again. Come fall. Once they're settled in school, once we're settled here, uh, and things slow down a little with work and whatnot, but I'm really happy to do, uh, this episode. But before that, I do want to say when I do start doing this more regularly, I do want to make some changes to the show. I still want people to call in with their paranormal experiences. Uh, that's, I'm very passionate about that. And I want like, uh, I want people to share their experiences. Um, but I also don't want to rely on guests to have shows and some people, you know, they have an experience, but I can't stretch out a two hour episode with that, you know, and, uh, I just don't want to rely on guests. So I might be bringing on a co-host. Uh, I will see how that goes. If anyone knows me personally or, you know, behind the scenes, you can probably figure out who that's going to be, uh, by popular demand. But, um, yeah, we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. But, uh, I'm really excited about this episode. This is part two to the Lord of the Rings after, I don't know, four or five months since recording part one with Random Randy. Uh, We did it back in March, and uh, we finally were able to get together and do part two, the two towers. Um, We recorded, you know, we started recording, and the first hour was just, we kept losing connections. Uh, Anytime we talked about the hobbits rising up or the little people rising up, I don't know if Zoom's algorithm was picking up on the phrase little people and thinking it was something, I don't know, derogatory or whatnot. But every time we talked about giants, little people, people rising up, uh, it was just cut out and the audio was pretty rough. I think Randy, uh, I think Randy edited it and is going to include that in his episode that he's releasing. You know, same episode, kind of a swap cast type deal. But uh, I just didn't have time to do the editing on it, so I left it. I left this uh, portion unedited. It cuts out a couple times, but I wanted to leave it in too so you could see how like, when we talk about specific topics, it cut out. Now, am I just looking too far into things? Maybe. Maybe it was just bad internet. I don't know, but it's interesting. But that does bring me to an interesting point, like... Lord of the Rings, whether you love it or hate it, I highly recommend everyone read the second to last chapter of The Return of the King. Whether you've never read any of it, or you've seen it, and whatever, they left this part out of the movie, and I do believe there is a conspiracy as to why they did so. But read the uh, second to last chapter of The Return of the King, it's called The Scoring of the Shire, and it is phenomenal, and it's so relevant to what's going on today in today's world. So I highly recommend everyone check that out. But this episode, we talk about two towers. We just kind of break down the plot. We're going to 
go through this one, uh, do the Return of the King as well, and then we'll start diving into some deeper histories, some uh, more character development, more tropes and themes and whatnot. But yeah, enjoy it, guys. I've been talking too long. It's a fun episode. Go check out Random Randy with the Red Thread Podcast. Uh, it's on all the major platforms, and follow him on Instagram at Random Fracks. Uh, he's putting out a ton of great content, so definitely show him some love and check out this episode, and I will see you on the next one. Okay. Are you allowed, are you recording too? Oh yeah, recording too. Take two. Take two, the uh, great it, eye of Sauron. <laughs> <laughs> Shut us down, dude. It was like, oh well, yeah, you see, you don't play mm-hmm. nice with the ring, the ring don't play nice with you. We're gonna yeah. shut you guys down talking too much truth but that's just the way of the world you know here in uh here in this realm that we live here in, in middle earth realm. let's just call it what it is guys so it here is in middle, middle earth. earth we are the hobbits that grew up you know the giants <laughs> right. before us had the kingdoms of gondor and all that other stuff but so yeah just in case i you know we lost some of that audio we'll just kind of we're, we're picking up from where we left off after a three-month hiatus and we were uh, where the fellowship goes into the woods of Lothlorien. They get their gifts from Galadriel. Uh, she telepathically reads their minds. Uh, she kind of sees Boromir is a little iffy there. Probably going to take the ring or try to take the ring. A little bit on the fallen side, yep. Fallen angel there. Um, and then uh, she gives Frodo a star. We talked about that in the last one. And I think it's the light of... Erendil, or Erendil, but for some reason that doesn't sound right to me. I I'm think it just it sounds right. different when you're yeah. using the the uh, not saying the, it the proper. Elvish. Yeah, right. Yeah, it sounds so different. Like you know, with the the soft elves and mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. But yeah, I mean, it was something like that. But the the coolest thing about that, though, like we're kind of briefly touching on it, I just want to kind of poke at this a little is the possibility that stars are air bubbles in the in the ocean above or the seas above right or the waters above um and these things are being vibrated by sound creating the same effect that we're told you know the same thing we're told about stars but smaller more powerful and packed in a smaller little area um so it's a possibility that when we look up at the night sky you see the songs of of the gods right vibrating bubbles up there somewhere whatever that means you know for all you flat earthers you know the it's waters above who knows for, right we don't we don't know i don't have wings uh i don't think anybody else i've ever met has spent the ten thousand dollars to go into a you know one of those space balloon things where they probably put you in a glass Fire bubbled balloon. window yeah and, mm-hmm. and send you up there and you're looking through curved glass looking at the curve of the earth who knows how they're gonna you know, facilitate all that. I've been wondering, but at a at a cost of ten grand to go up in a high high altitude uh, balloon, they're making it to where you know anybody who's going to spend ten grand to go up in a balloon, nobody's going to believe shit they say anyway. So, right, <laughs> you know, so so that might be what's up with stars. But so you know, little little like esoteric truths in in everything, and that's just what makes this so fascinating, man. Oh yeah, and we can get into the the. Uh stonemason type of uh, stuff when we get into helms deep and like all that cool stuff but so we'll just kind of wrap up the mo- the fellowship movie which ties right into the two towers the departure of boromir they leave lothlorien they uh 
everything the elves give them is magical even like down to the rope that sam has is like it, it unties itself it's pretty cool you know <laughs> right I mean? it's much like the garden hoses that have recently become all the rage and yeah. you know <laughs> in americana america mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah so so they leave lothlorien boromir of gondor tries to steal the ring from frodo and that's when the fellowship breaks up he he leaves and then they get attacked by a traveling pack of orakai uh the orakai kill boromir uh he kills a bunch of them too uh frodo and sam take off for mount doom uh mary and pippin get kidnapped by the orcs and then aragorn legolas and gimli have to uh basically they have a choice are they going to follow frodo and sam or are they going to follow mary and pippin and aragorn decides he's he can't let the two hobbits be captured or whatever and then in the book they do a whole song and dance for boromir and they put his bones in the weapons of his slayed enemies in a boat and they send him over the waterfall you see that in the movie pretty you know minus the weapons of the enemies and the song and dance but uh they send boromir down the waterfall and they start hunting the orcs and frodo and sam go off to mount doom on their own and then that's where we jump into the two towers movie in the opening scene we touched on it before we got disconnected it's you see Gandalf falling into the abyss fighting the Belrog and it's epic. He's flying down. He grabs his sword. He's stabbing this thing. And then right as they hit the waters, these this below, boom, you know, Frodo wakes up and it's a it's a dream or a nightmare. But uh, yeah, we, we should probably touch on Gandalf fighting the Belrog because he falls an eternity you know what i mean it's only a yeah, short time it's, it's crazy like forever he's falling and then like you're saying at the the very end at least in frodo's dream he kind of hits some kind of a substance a liquid or something down at the very bottom down there and like i don't know if you've ever seen these uh renditions or or, or anything of of the world with of course the firmament over the top but you have this land called like sheol you know mm-hmm. sitting underneath and then below that even you have you know, the, the deep, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the, the, the oceans abyss. beneath the oceans, the abyss. Right. And, you know, and then as, as when Gandalf comes in later and he, and he starts to explain more about this whole, you know, journey, you know, falling it, from the, the highest peak to the lowest abyss and then back like up again, like that's mm-hmm. the weird part. He, he goes down through the abyss, right. Falls through this like ocean down there to the point he's falling so far that he is back up top again it's like pac-man you know Mm -hmm. like so what's really going on there is that some kind of a little clue that's fun to think about but but yeah it's and and i mean he's like fighting this thing for an eternity they're like outside of time apparently like yeah it's like they broke through the dimension and they're in a just a timeless dimension at that point they broke through um they ascended they're they're in some low frequency right yeah they're, they're just high... outside of the chronosphere um which you know i i wish more people would be able to see and approach our reality as a time bubble it makes a lot more sense when you start looking at like mm-hmm. um some of the mathematics for distances when you look at outside of this bubble like it just gets ridiculous real fast there's this crazy redshift thing happening that it could be like they say doppler redshift things moving away or it could just be that fuck everything out there is outside of time. So everything is going to appear as though it's constantly moving further away. Like, you know, there's going to be this weird 
thing that happens. I don't know. But the, you know, falling outside of time thing, I like, man, I don't know. That just hits a nerve with me. It makes so much sense yeah. when, and when you hear about people going like, like, I don't know, like even these people that supposedly have seen like inner earth and stuff like this, mm -hmm. there's always like this weird time situation, the, the Bermuda triangle, even yeah. um, dude, mm -hmm. people showing up like on a freeway, like in that much in like several TV shows, like randomly just running across the field, wind up in a freeway, get hit by a car. They're in the hospital and they ask them where they're from. And they're from like 1920, yeah. you know? And like, so all kinds of weird stuff just factors into that whole time bubble thing. But well, it's interesting too. Just a, another movie. Since we're talking about movies, I just watched Godzilla versus King Kong with my oh, son. Yeah. And did you yes. see that one? Yes, dude. Where they go. There's secrets. The there's secrets in that Godzilla, dude. There's quantum relativity secrets in some of the Godzilla cartoon animes. Mm -hmm. I mean, dude, that stuff is deep, bro. Like, like mm -hmm. anybody who like you, you're not a nerd unless you nerd out hard on anime and try to find out what the hidden secrets are. Because like, I feel like that's Japan's role in this whole yeah. big storytelling thing is to like throw us a lot of bones, dude. Like, hey, here's something that happened. Maybe here's something else. Well, did you ever get into? Dragon Ball Z, I know. Dragon oh, Ball yes. Z and Lord of the Rings is oh, like yes, my whole dude. childhood. But they have that, uh, <laughs> what is it, the hyperbaric time chamber where they go into train and they go in for like 10 minutes in our realm. And it's like they're training for five years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, other... yeah, dude. There's so, so it... much of that time manipulation, quantum fluctuation. Oh, and I mean, some of these animes are so like on point mathematically. I mean, there's this one called Stein's Gate, and this guy with a microwave and a few laptops creates a machine that can send a text message back in time and starts just fucking the whole timeline up <laughs> just by sending himself a message a few days earlier, you know, uh, to crazy. save some yeah. chick's life. And then, like, she ends up being the one that brings doom on the world. So that whole paradox thing always factors in. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a show out there while we're on random stuff called uh the umbrella academy and i think yeah. it's on netflix and i haven't seen the new it's, season it's yet, killer but... dude that show is killer and you know all of these things having to do with time with doctor who i mm -hmm. mean on and on so much of it in pop culture that you know after looking at the last how long i've been alive and seeing aliens go from uh fringe. you know something you see on tv yeah fringe to oh well they're fucking up there bro it's cool you know mm -hmm. what i mean like just makes me wonder like all right and we're seeing all this stuff hap happening about time manipulation um people remembering past lives like there's a lot of focus on these things recently since the alien things like done and gone they're like all right what's what are we gonna do to like upset the balance next okay let's build a you know the one ring to rule them all and go mm -hmm. back in time and start sending text messages to ourselves and all this other stuff who knows Firing up man? CERN and all that good <laughs> shit but dude no, it's, yeah <laughs> and it's interesting too so like tying it back to lord of the rings so he goes <laughs> through this time warp and when he finally comes back uh he says like i i had they sent me back so i so i could finish my task and there's even like he makes a reference to uh even mary and pippin running into the ents that he says they were the small uh, pebbles before the avalanche. Like every single thing that happens, like, and that ties back to him forcing setting to... all that in motion. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, again, that we talked about the wizard showing up when it's the right time and putting the pieces of the puzzle 
close enough to each other. So someone just has to come up and put them together. You know what I mean? And it's right. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of that going on. Uh, You know, some people's opinion might be that there's these influence from alien beings or whatever, but there's a lot of this like indirect nudging going on, you know, like pushing people to as a, as like a mass entity believe or feel a certain way. And, and then, after a little bit, like once it starts to go, it, it develops a life of its own and starts to do its own thing. And it's it's crazy, dude, like the way that that works and the way that our voices in our head will without pushing us to do something without in most cases for the mentally well, I guess. Right. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not you're not going to be like forced to do something by your demons. You're pretty much going to have to succumb to your demons saying something, you know, poking pushing the right button and, and convincing you to go out and do said task or whatever right um so it's like this this weird ethereal kind of thing that that is happening but but yeah dude so so he falls out of time falls back in and has forgotten gandalf also had forgotten even just his most previous version of himself so mm-hmm. he didn't know his name was gandalf or um uh Ith- Mithrandir, right? He yeah. didn't. He goes, oh, that's what you used to call me, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so you know, he didn't know either, and like, that's an interesting poke at the fact that we don't remember anything when we get here either. Like, right. is that by design? I, I think that that's kind of what's being called into question. Yeah, and that's kind that. of like the star seed thing too, and everyone's on a mission and whatnot. Like, it's it's interesting, man, and then. <laughs> It's uh, easy to get caught up in, um, especially if you're a passionate hope artist, right? Like mm-hmm. you like to to cultivate hope and and carry hope around. And like that's an easy one to kind of get with, you know, um, a lot of messages of love and light and this and that. Um, but like on the tail end of that whole love and light train that is like the Pleiadian, you know, Galactic Alliance and all that, there's this weird underlying thing that you know, it doesn't sit wrong with me. It makes a lot of sense with me that that basically that everybody is here to have an experience. And some people are actually here to have negative what we would, you know, connotate as negative experiences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a long time, I was like, oh, that's bullshit. That's just a cop out, you know, for them to say it's OK for people to be harvesting, you know, adrenochrome or whatever. And and then after a while, I'm like, well, you know, like like there this is a world of duality right and a world world of polarity um shit i would have nothing to talk about if there wasn't an you know an evil darkness in the back of the room manipulating and controlling everything from the furthest reaches of reality i we would all be bored of shit dude like Mm -hmm. none of us would have shit to talk about you know there wouldn't be anything to do on this post-apocalyptic world that we live on um but yeah dude it's it's crazy (laughs) uh, yeah so we'll get back into it because like everyone loved the first episode we did i mean that got quite a few downloads for my show and people have messaged me multiple times like we want lord of the rings like okay yeah yeah, definitely yeah it's it's hard like you know after looking at it so much and spending so much time listening to it reading about it um like seeing these these things line up between reality as it stands for us here in this collective experience and this reality like there's so many 
so many things that just line up and make sense. Like, man, and the one, the biggest one I can't get over is the industrialization of the realm. Like, mm -hmm. like that, you know, says so much to me. And, you know, a lot of people think that when he was writing this, that he's talking about like his experience in world war one. Right. Which, you know, um, like, of course it influenced it for sure. But like, I don't know, man. You see, like, what the orcs were creating explosives and just crazy shit. And, and Saruman's creating. I mean, you have the the magician and behind the scenes, the, the wizard running it. And we can get into the whole, like, white hat, you know, <laughs> whatnot. But, like, it's just interesting that Saruman the White, who's supposed to be the highest order of the wizards, is the one who is corrupted and doing all this terrible shit. <laughs> right man and dude it's it's one of those things where it like calls into question like what you really feel you know about who is who is the who are the good guys and who are you know what i mean um ultimately humanity itself is corruptible like we see that every day mm -hmm. um so when we're told yeah you know the revolutionary war and we won and all this I, you know i beg to differ like i i, right. I uh you know i hope that that people in seeing fictions and and learning something about themselves can then turn around and learn something about the world that we're sold also um it's this really crazy convenient thing that they've developed when it's like oh well guess what we'll just call it this we will call it fiction and it suddenly becomes something that's lower than than correspondence letters right between mm -hmm. two people like fiction is looked at as like the lowest form of like truth you know what i mean ultimately fiction means not true right like so right. so you know they're like let's put that stamp on there and and this this crazy stamping of these books like you go and try to look at any of these like these books coming out in the early 1900s that fiction stamp on the front is as big as the title <laughs> you know what i mean so like they made very close or paid very close attention and made sure that you're gonna look at that book and go oh this is fake you know i can go ahead and disregard everything that i'm looking at here but that goes into that whole karmic thing where they have to tell you what it is it's like yeah they they're saying it's fiction but they're telling you the truth it's up to you to figure out like whether this is fiction or not you know and well yeah and you see things around the world like the the layer the different layers of coal and petrified forest and you're like wait what happened here dude like mm -hmm. what is going on blasted you know nuclear glass in the desert and like all this stuff and like the only stories we have that are are classified not fiction are like the vedic texts Right. You know, and, and those are, are kind of touted as as being. Well, they hit the just spiritual, you know, the religion. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're touted as a religious or spiritual uh, teaching or book. So so by Western standards, that's looked at as complete fiction, fiction as well. Yeah. So they, they get away with it, man. And like, I mean, I, I'm Greek, you know what I mean? And I, I have like relatives that learned uh, like mythology over in Greece. You know, this is like my grandmother, so not too far removed, but that that was ta taught as their history too. Like they learned mythology back in the you know early forties when she was born. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah, no doubt. And you know, that's something that was like when I was in high school. There, there were teachers trying to teach the in between the line stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, most of them were were old, like they were about to retire and stuff. And it seems like the teachers since then 
you know, over the last 20 years, especially have really like only pushed the standard curriculum, you know, like they don't go out of their way to, to let, to have you read 1984 mm-hmm. and say, well, what did you learn from it? And actually engage the class and talk to the kids about what's going on here and draw the parallels between that book and what is going on in society at that moment. And we're talking back in the nineties, you know, when I was in high school. So like for that to, I mean, and that just barely got out a couple of years after I was in high school, they stopped 1984 wasn't in the lesson plan anymore. No, as soon you know, and as soon as it was like, as soon as all these cell phones were in everybody's hand, smartphones, they stopped showing kids that shit. They're like, no, we're not going to show you that. We're not going to show like, I had to do a book report on Fahrenheit 451 when I was in high school, you know, like, so there's all these things that our teachers were trying to say, Hey, you know, you guys need to wise up and pay attention to what's going on. But, but we were kids buying into the social norms and, and I can tell you, man, I was an English teacher. I I quit being a teacher. And a big part of that was they were eliminating fiction. So I was teaching seventh grade English and they were just, I taught the giver my, my, uh, I, I did long-term sub positions. I never had a full-time job with it, but I was teaching the giver and that there's a lot of truth in that book. Too, if you want to yeah, look into yeah, that. Yeah, dude, it's, it's that, that era was, mm-hmm. was, you know, um, it was a big push to cement humanity's understanding of, of the world, of the mm-hmm. world of, you know, each other right in that period of time. And it, and it goes all the way into like these expositions, these world fairs, there was a big push to indoctrinate everybody. And, you know, hopefully someday that's that's what us collectively as as, you know, a group of researchers and curious minds, hopefully we'll figure out exactly what the catalyst was that provoked that shift. Was it a war? Was it, you know, a natural something or other? Um was it more than that? Um, was it, you know, a battle between good and evil, a God war, right? That we really mm-hmm. don't know anything about. It was just lights in the sky, destruction, like we don't know. Or was it something that like, you know, we kind of helped along a little with our technology or right. or what have you? Or was it was it the pagans versus, you know, the Gnostics or <laughs> what was well, kinda, going on there? Kind of going off an idea you said before we even started recording the, the first time, you were saying how like, you almost wish sometimes that you could be so oblivious, you know, and uh, like ignorance is bliss. Right. And during this whole Lord of the Rings, like if we are the hobbits, the Shire until the end where they get a little dose of Saruman coming in uh, before that, they're completely ignorant to all this stuff. The only hobbits that even know there's an outside world are the four that go on the journey and Bilbo. But uh yeah, it's just if if we became the hobbits and this is like some clash of the titans thing, the, these men fighting these wars against good and evil. After that's all over and the the reign of men phases out, these giants or whatever you want to call them, and then we become, you know, the next humanity, the hobbits. It's it's interesting to think about that. <laughs> Did I lose you? Every time for I sure, talk about dude. this. Uh, yeah, you started to cut out there for a I, second. Okay, so we can't talk about the hobbits <laughs> and, and that anymore because apparently Zoom doesn't yeah, like Yeah, we can't talk about us. We can't talk about us being little people. 
Right. You know, they find that offensive. So okay. they're like, nope, hate speech. We got to mm-hmm. shut that hate down. Speech. Shut it right He's down. Talking crap on it. <laughs> but, uh... but, you know, you're, I think you're onto something there, though. As soon as we start talking about the, the difference in versions of humanity, right? Like, regardless, right? Uh, you know, I don't understand the like the blaspheming behind pointing out that there were larger people and that they were a part of like history also. Like that's a big no, no, like the, you know, the Smithsonian and everything shutting down all that, like scooping up all of the skeletons. The only ones you can find are in Peru and they're like labeled Paracas skulls. Right. Like, mm-hmm. so they're classified into their whole Anunnaki story. Um, and they're, they're smaller, which, you too. Know, they're is, only like seven feet tall. So they're not like we, ha- we have people that are fine, seven- but yeah. It's just crazy because they kind of fit in like, oh, that's head binding. Yeah, or, not like the reported ones that are, you know, 30 feet tall. 15, mm-hmm. 20 foot, like, like there's some reports 30 feet or like 15 meters like tall mm-hmm. uh, of skeletons. Of course, we're not going to have any of that information. It's all been scooped up and everything right on and target tales of that candy work uh like the lord of the rings right mm-hmm. and, and <laughs> as soon as i go to talk about the their masonic you know giants sweeping of under the rug action it starts to cut out again but but yeah they you know they they neatly categorize this stuff all into fiction and it's interesting you were saying that when you were when you were teaching they started to pretty much ban fiction um I think yeah. because they realized there were a few people that were learning mm-hmm. the in between the lines stuff, you know, and that's dude, that's so sad, man. I, I couldn't imagine getting through English class, you know, all of those years without some fiction to like, you know, break yeah. up the, um, you know, black awareness month uh, from the, you know, lesbian pride month, which, which are both in the same month. And it's like, you know, so you're doing <laughs> that's well, all your book work for the whole year is on black and gays. And you're like, OK, guess that's yeah. what the world is. Yeah. And that's 100 percent true. Like my my stepson is going into seventh grade now and everything in their English class is just reading like newspaper, like articles online that they find. And everything is nonfiction. But, you know, they contrive the narrative and all that. But it's just sad. So I think it's important what we're doing here, talking about fiction and <laughs> like it's just yeah they don't let it happen it, it doesn't happen in the outside world anymore it doesn't happen in in schools definitely not in universities mm-hmm. um you know there's definitely no you know peer review process for analyzing fiction um there's you know uh, of course all the biggest names in fiction have backgrounds that are are you know questionable to say the least whether they're part of you know the tavistock institute plans for social mm-hmm. engineering or what have you um and and like you know like we were saying about earlier of, about you know in the very end the very wrap up at the end of the lord of the rings whole series they they left a part out of of the movies of the little people rising back you know mm-hmm. and and actually getting their own their own thing back so you can see the manipulation even in this fiction that was written, you know, by an associate. Um, so you can see that they're they're even taking that piece out. I don't know if it was 
you know, if he was like, as he was getting uh, like on in years and was finishing up the series, did like his conscious kind of get to him or was it by like plan or, or, you know, planned out to be like, okay. Um, yeah. And then at the very end, you know, throw him a bone and tell him the little people win, but you know, in reality they don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or if he just got soft hearted about it, you know, it was like, I'll just throw that in there. And they didn't like that maybe very much. And you know, who, who knows, man, it's so hard to tell what the like interpersonal relationships between these types of people are when you have power involved. Right. But all I know is the these movies came out at the right time because if these movies came out today, I don't think they would be nearly as epic and good as they were. You know what I mean? With all the woke culture and all that stuff that's going on now. I don't think oh, they man. could get away with it. Yeah, there would have been at least there would have been, uh, you know, oh, man, Golem and Frodo would have ended up becoming an item or something. Right. You know, yeah, it would have been something crazy and weird and like you can't escape that stuff. And I, I know it's like kind of off the off the subject, but just looking at I haven't seen the new Lord of the Rings yet. The the new series. That's, it's not out yet. It keeps oh, OK. That's back. why I haven't seen it. OK, I thought it was already out, but it was supposed to come out in August. But there's been so much pushback from fans because of this woke nonsense that they're putting into oh. it. Oh, that they nice. keep delaying it so it was supposed to be out the first of august or second of august or whatever yeah now they're, they're now shoving this crap down these kids' throats dude this whole culture and but just hop on like a reddit man. forum or anything man like the internet youtube whatever people are like for some reason the tolkien fans are coming out in numbers like we don't want this shit stay true to the text please like that's that's good man yeah I, I really hope that that works out but you know how these these folks are very patient with the manipulation and <laughs> they'll just wait 10 years until a bigger sloth you know swath of uh token fans are just gone off the earth yeah you know they'll help to facilitate that to whatever extent they can also um there's a there's something though that I, that I was looking at when you look at the the tower that has the all-seeing eye mm -hmm. uh, on it the shape of this tower is like a U mm -hmm. um, and it's like very similar to the sun worship shape that, that like, yeah. you know, that, that emblem above like raw or yeah. uh, it's like a crescent moon. You have this type. and yeah. it looks like bullhorns maybe. Yep. Right. This, this kind of U shape with, with like a very deliberate kind of curve to it. So like even in the small things, like the shapes uh, of these buildings, um, and Minotheris, right? Like you have this epic like citadel, you know, built into this this mountain and like all of these very unique, but like ultimately very familiar uh, scenes or scenery or, you know, backdrops mm -hmm. um, like so much about the Lord of the Rings visually was was like attractive in like some form of a primal sense man um and that's with a lot of what we what we coin fantasy also right mm -hmm. like there's something incredibly alluring and like familiar about this this old world um architecture yeah. um the the integrated symbolism cool. i mean and it's you know, interesting too the orthunk the tower that saruman's in right uh, the Ents, they go in and they wreck Isengard. They destroy all the industry. They flood all the, the forges and everything. But they can't destroy Orthunk because it's indestructible. And it's a if you look at it, it's a stone pillar that goes up. 
and it's just like it's part of the lance like you know what i mean they can't destroy it even if it's and so that leads you to wonder like is that part of nature was this part of like some civilization beforehand that saruman just took over it, it's it's an interesting concept that the ents can't destroy uh the one of the two towers right tear it down so they do they well, and, and that's that's spot on. They they can't destroy it, and, and it's like built integrated into the earth, um, mm -hmm. much like maybe. And and I'm just throwing this out there. You have tales of Hyperborea mm -hmm. having having you know a, a tower, and in a in another Masonic, you know, writer's tales being Stephen King, you have the Dark Tower, mm -hmm. which is this this tower in the central hub. Much like in in the two towers um, in Saruman's stronghold, you have this wheel shaped kind of thing happening right around his tower, mm -hmm. um, and it's very similar to the Dark Tower and several other fiction writers' kind of idea of this this symbolic tower, this dark tower. It's also black in the two towers. It's a black tower that stands there. It's like it's like almost looks like it's made of obsidian. It's yeah. very shiny, very, you know, techy looking. It looks, you know, like, and if this is a place that's like boosting his magic prowess, like maybe it is a, a kind of a technology. And, and that gets into yeah, the so they put out all the stuff. forges, you know, by, you know, backflowing the rivers. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so, I mean, so this is a wizard. He's, he's excavating the, the world beneath his stronghold, you know, to facilitate this industrial growth. And like, dude, it's so much like what we see going on in smaller scales, like all around the world, like you have this little stronghold and, and we'll call it, you know, a copper mine. And they just rape the land all around there. Um, all the while maintaining the infrastructure to do so. But then as soon as it's exhausted, they just like leave all the shit there and go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And and it becomes a part of the landscape, you know, kind of much like his tower would become a part of the landscape is the, the trees couldn't tear it down. But also, do we see this happening throughout the world with these like pyramid sites mm -hmm. and, and things like this that are, that are like. We, we won't say proven to like embody some form of a like geo power, but they're mm -hmm. it's thought, right? It's it's. They're commonly, on ley lines. They're the right shape. They're they're doing something. It's them. commonly not... thought that, and and yes, and and like there's also things having to do with like the, the shape like Ministerith is with this like star fort kind of you know citadel, very Babel esque looking, mm -hmm. hanging terraces. I mean, so there's a lot to this. We see a lot of like crazy architecture all around the world that's sitting on ley lines that seems to have. A resonant kind of purpose um you know were these the, the temples of the mages of the past and you know since have they moved on to their glass and uh steel skyscrapers you know yeah <laughs> it's i mean just that alone we could probably dissect for an hour like just the structure <laughs> of it and it's 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 so, it's so much dude and i really hope that and, and i'm glad that we're we're able to reach out and and kind of tickle some people's kind of curiosity with with some of these conversations um because i know when i was when i was younger i didn't really look into things that much um mm -hmm. didn't really try to see what like the the what i can learn personally from 
like these characters endeavors you know what i mean um like look at look at right when we jump back into this he's um he's got enough of a connection with gandalf that he's dreaming of gandalf falling through all of that with the balrog and everything so like i don't know if you've ever had like a loved one or uh you know a familiar person in your life have something kind of going wrong and you have a bad dream or a dream with them in it and then turn around the next day and make that phone call and you're like hey you know i just wanted to say hey and find out something uh, outrageously positive or outrageously negative has happened with that person yeah. like the the day before right when you have this dream so there's like this connection that's being kind of spoken about there which is really incredible um yeah and, and i think we all have that capability to be empathetic to to our other you know our other fellow journeymen <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and and you see frodo doing that we talked about this in the in part one how he uh the ring has put him in that in-between liminal state where he's half in half out he's and he's got the wound that kind of never healed properly he's uh just walking in between these worlds and uh when he when they meet Gollum, which is pretty early in the movie it cuts to sam and frodo uh, and this is something I really did like about the movie, because when you read the books, it's the two towers is book one and book two. Book one is Mary Pippin, the orcs, you know, Aragorn, Gandalf, that whole Helm's Deep story. And then it, book two is Frodo and Sam. And I like how they split it up. So it's scenes back and forth. So you see both of it going on as it was supposed to. And uh so they meet Gollum and Frodo just develops this like connection to him. It's funny you mentioned they become an item in woke culture, but like there is this weird, like Frodo sees himself in Gollum and Gollum sees Frodo as like the master. And there's this strange duality uh, between the two where Frodo starts turning on Sam, who is his like loyal gardener who will follow him to death. And he starts sympathizing and empathizing with Gollum and like really taking pity on him. You know what I mean? When ultimately Sam sees through the bullshit and he's like, this, this creature is going to try to kill us. He only wants the ring and Sam's uh, or Frodo's like, yeah, yeah. Know? There's that, that, that liminal bound They're They're bound liminally, right? Mm -hmm. Like, cause they both are kind of traversing in that in-between space of uh, like of, of darkness and of like, just yeah. compulsion like that the ring kind of entails that compulsion that yeah that like, like need it's like this need for immediate gratification mm -hmm. that the ring provides right much like like our technology dude like or you know i gotta hammer anything, on that a little yeah. bit yeah and 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 this is this is what the the ring also kind of it's not just evil it's it's the the manipulation the control mm -hmm. the the mechanism that like leads you away from what we come to know is good goodness right yeah. like so it could be you know any number of things not just technology but um i mean it could be society it could be all of these aspects of life that are kind of helping to dictate what we are on a daily basis you know and that's where it's like so in-depth and involved i wish it was as simple as some of these tales put it across as right like very clearly defined good and evil you know, evil is spooky and dark and and, um, you know, ring wraiths wear black and you know what I mean? Like like and all the, the bad guys, guys wear white. black leather. Yeah. 
right yeah. right yeah we don't have that luxury no and it, <laughs> in it, this it's... world at all like not in the least no and and going off a of golem like this is like just such a great scene like it's jumping ahead a little bit in the plot but where you you know the scene i'm talking about where golem is having the argument with himself and it pans like to the different personalities so he's like it's smeagol arguing with golem and he's like i you you only survive because of me and Smeagol's like, no, we love the ma- we love you know, Master. He's yeah, nice we to love us. The master, right? Who's we master run- us, right? And <laughs> yeah. then it's like, no, it's just such a cool scene, and like you see that split personality, yeah, exactly. And then like there's like this brief moment where you think like, oh shit, Gollum is trying to change, like you know, but ultimately we know what happens in the end. He doesn't, and Sam sees through the whole thing, and he's like the villain's going to kill us. Like, you know what I mean? Let's like, let's slit his throat and just be done with it. And, uh, yeah, it's man. You know, that, that whole paradigm, that whole, whole kind of developing of these characters is like very much like, like what we go through in life. Like it's always easier for a close friend or a close relative that is just right outside of whatever situation you're in. Mm-hmm. to see what's going on with you and say a girlfriend, right? And you have a best friend that is watching your relationship with your girlfriend going, dude, right. that's toxic. Get out of there. Like, what right. are you doing? You know? And you're like, no, she loves me. You right. know? It's, like, it's normal. Me. It's normal. Yeah, it's normal, normal to be abused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. What if I like her? <laughs> you know? Right. Like, so, yeah. So, like, there's that aspect, too. And I think everybody can relate to that in some way going, well, I've had that. I've had that uh, that Sam Weiss in my life, you know, mm-hmm. as I've <laughs> trudged through hell with my golem, mm-hmm. right? Like we've all kind of been there to a certain degree. So there's like so many, man, just different aspects of this that speak on so many different like fractal levels. And and that's one, the connection between close friends. The So there's a lot of good stuff too. Like we talk a lot about the negativity with mm-hmm. the, the all-seeing eye and this being you know a masonic tale and all that can be construed as negative but something i've i've come to understand about the masonic order is is they they do you know believe in order out of chaos which is organizing the chaos that is here in order to create something what they consider more beautiful or more you know vibrant or even to create more chaos to create more order like it's this self-perpetuating thing and and it's all twisted you know it's all geared towards alchemy mm-hmm. um not the alchemy of metals or or substances but right. but the alchemy that we all are, are are actively engaging in like in our journeys here um mm-hmm. you know the the shifting of of our mindset from from black to to white to yellow to red you know like we're, we're shifting through all these different kind of phases and and they're very hip to that. The Masonic Order, the you know different degrees of Freemason, they're very about that alchemy and that that the great work, right? They call it the great work, uh, you know, of Hermetic tradition. And so, like there there is a a good purpose, you know, um, to to these organizations, to the way that they're putting these tales across. Um, and, and so it's not just all about fear and doom and gloom and 
and oh you know the uh the magicians already took over and you know industrialized the earth so we have no hope no like you know that was just the story of the past like that's something we learn from now and and adjust accordingly and you know the the way it's looking now maybe ai will integrate with humanity at some point there seems to be less and less fear around the ai humanity integration maybe that wasn't the case last time and technology you know was the downfall maybe it'll be the savior this time who knows a lot of people would beg to differ on that on that perspective though but um so they that's that's interesting because it it cuts uh, to arwen here and she is an elf right arwen is aragorn's love interest and we'll get into aragorn in a minute but she's supposed to go off to the west with her people and she wants to stay and she says there's always hope. You know what I mean? Like her father, yeah, she's like, going to give up her, she's going to give up her immortal, essentially her mortal, immortal life to, yeah. to be with him. That's, that's something. It makes me wonder if, if there aren't some of these Elven or Pladian or, you know, um, larger type people that stuck around and, you know, maybe these are some of the representations that we see on film of giants, uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, are the ones that, that loved the humanity, the little humanity enough to to stick around. Who knows? Yeah. But um, yeah, so I guess we'll get back into the plot. So going through the Two Towers movie, we're going <laughs> to focus mainly on the movie because this one had the most, I would say, fluff in it, like added stuff. There's a lot of added extra things that aren't actually in the book but they stayed pretty true to the main uh plot of the story just changed little things here and there like different groups of people and the number of orcs and whatnot but you get a really cool look into like the orc culture and like what they are when they're carrying mary and pippin around and uh yeah the way they behave towards each other um yeah, they're they, very like, cutthroat cut <laughs> killing the other clans like anything that's not like them they they're cannibalistic they eat each other <laughs> even if it is some of them yeah that's it's crazy and and there's just uh oh like there's a certain degree of order to their ranks but there's like this kind of chaotic you know also thing going on so it's mm-hmm. a very interesting balance that this army of like weird crossbreeds because they're like the orakai are saruman's creation right so they're like a mixture of a goblin and a standard orc if i'm not mistaken and i think men too or something like because they're so they're they're a complete mix then something he's just like conjured up yeah and so yeah man you know like that that's just one of those things that's speaking about you know breeding and genetic manipulation and Mm -hmm. You know, up until recently, it wasn't called genetic manipulation. It was just breeding. Like, and it didn't matter how you bred, whether in a lab or or not, it was still crossbreeding. Like, right. You know, um, back in, in time, we have tales of Chimera. And up until the very recently, you know, the, the Montauk monster. I mean, so you got this stuff being echoed throughout. You've got them saying uh, this magician conjures somehow conjures up these beings from within the earth <laughs> right these that have features of you know orcs goblins trolls men like it's it's like this conglomeration or a a mag i can't say that word amalgam of just these 
different creatures and it seems like he focuses on like all the negative aspects of them like the orcs right but this is what makes them powerful you know yeah it makes them super powerful like they can just run nonstop all day like and that's what they do in the movie if you've ever seen the movie right you know there's a ton of running going on and those urukai have it down dude yeah and they they don't get affected by like the sun so it's like they bred out the bad traits so like the goblins can't go out in the sunlight you know but these orakai can can run and and then you get the whole uh the chase like which i i think is freaking epic you know the whole aragorn is tracking them and you get to see his like ranger skills and he's like putting his head down to the earth and he's like getting told the story of like what happened like they went this way north and then a hobbit fell down here and he left this leaf there and it's cool to see that and then uh yeah they really nailed that that part it was actually more exciting to watch in the film than to like listen to on audiobook Mm -hmm. um it it just it gave a better feel for what he was doing to follow you know um it reads really well in the book don't get me wrong but it in the movie you're able to see that and by then you've developed kind of a relationship with this character after seeing him through the whole first one Mm-hmm. So, you know, by this time, you know, the character and you're starting to see some of the, the character's skills. And that that's a crazy thing about this entire series of novels and this entire realm that is created here is the depth of like the character development all the way from the Similarian all the way to the end of uh, to the end of um, Return of the King. Like there's this like very consistent progression of Mm -hmm. character development that like it's genius man it never leaves you wanting or really wondering about anybody's uh you know choices or or what their beliefs or feelings are like you're you're always keyed into the pertinent feeling right like right in the right period of time and it's i think i think it's kind of unfortunate that like in fictions today um while much information is encoded and is valuable, there's just not as much going on as far as developing the characters and making them feel feel familiar. I mean, to a certain degree, Harry Potter was good. It had certain archetypes, but mm-hmm. I don't think that you can look at Harry Potter and go, well, I feel this, this, and this about this character. Um, whereas like, you can look at some of the characters in Lord of the Rings and you're like, wow, I really feel that archetype i don't know it could just be me being you know uh a um romanticizing previous works you know that happens when you start to get old apparently yeah (laughs) you start going well you know the old stuff was better (laughs) you know (laughs) but like even look at aragorn he's like this ranger like the first thing you get of him is like is he a villain like he's just this like person that's out in the woods tracking stuff that like what is he but then you find out he's this like healer as well he's got this like magic to him he's a king he's got this kingly thing and i mean not to get like into new agey shit but it's like kind of that like you are your your god inside like you can be both you can be a ranger of the woods and a king in a palace you know what i mean and a great warrior and a healer at the same time that duality of it is really cool to watch with that character and how that develops yeah and and then you know and then we see it it kind of it, it kind of ties back to him being a ranger when we see him tracking and and mm-hmm. doing all these things and 
you know, like in the previous one, we were talking about his healing capabilities, which is, is like the kind of elven, um, you know, soft hearted side that we saw. And then we see the more utilitarian kind of coming about in this whole chase mm -hmm. sequence that happens. He's makes himself incredibly useful. Um, yeah. You know, just easily as useful as Legolas's bow, right? Like his tracking skills come into factor just mm -hmm. as much. And so, so, and you find this stuff out about him um, kind of in the midst of finding out about him already knowing that he's supposed to be king. Yeah. Like, right? he, like he already knows he's going to. Like he. Right, but everyone around him doesn't seem to know until you start to get into this particular book when it's mm -hmm. like starts to be known by his friends around him or his associates. Right. They start to figure it out slowly as they're able to see the skill set. And they're like, wait a minute. They start looking into it. He has interactions with, um, you know, all the, the different horse lords and things and in, in Rohan there. And so like these interactions give you like these little pieces about this character so you're kind of like at a, at equidistant spots in this in this tale. Here's another piece of information about Aragorn. Here's another piece of information. They don't really get too far into Legolas. No. Um, it's that's more in the Hobbit kind mm -hmm. of, um, which is interesting, right? Like this character like overlaps, right? Um, because he's an elf, right? Right. Because he's, he's immortal. An there's... <laughs> so so that was like the most interesting thing i think that legolas is is going to be one of the characters we'll want to look at when we start looking at the hobbit mm -hmm. um, because it, it outlines a little more and there's enough of those equidistant pieces of information throughout the hobbit that we can feed that one but aragorn i think really shines in this you know trilogy right and um what's cool and it's kind of all about him you know yeah. like the getting up to the return of the king it's He's but the they king. don't tell you that right away, right? Like no. you're saying that you come out of the gate and they're like, like, oh, well, shady ranger guy smoking a pipe in the back of the bar. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hijacking these halflings and taking them upstairs, you know, at a moment's notice. Like, so all this weird, creepy, shady stuff happens. Yeah. And then, like, you come to find out, oh, no, he's not creepy or shady at all. Um, Even though, you know, like. I don't know why they did his teeth makeup like that. It made him look clownish, you know, all that aside, <laughs> they made him look really gappy tooth, you know, in mm -hmm. that first film. And they cleaned that up after he seemed mm -hmm. to shine a little brighter in the second one. But anyway, yeah. that's, that's way off on a tangent there. But yeah, so you start to see these little pieces about him and, and it's like, it's like warming you up to the character, uh, to the underlying traits of this character prior to allowing you to understand that this is royalty right, right? And, and like so there's other reasons that you learn to love this character besides his status right like you and learn then, you learn his skills you learn his his passions right? right like you see that love interest i think that's why that was important to factor in to the movies that right. that love interest because it really demonstrates like the emotional aspect of aragorn which i don't think you would get that without the portrayal of the love interest the way that they have it set up i think that that's a pretty effective kind of I, vehicle for that i agree and um another thing that they didn't do in the movie that this is in the book they pay a huge attention to detail in weapons in the book so like in the in the in the book 
the blade that was broken, the original sword that cut the ring from Sauron's hand that was sitting broken for the longest time, before the Fellowship even started, they reforged that sword, and that's Aragorn's sword. It's called Andoril, and, like, it, it, I don't know what they imbued it with, but, like, this is a common thing in fantasy where, like, they, these uh, weapons are imbued with certain strengths and whatnot, and so he has that sword throughout the whole thing. They don't do it in the movies until... Uh, the return of the king. Elrond comes and gives him the sword. But like there's a scene in Rohan where they have to give up their weapons. And Aragorn's like, I'm not like no man can touch this weapon. Like people are like, that's the that's the sword. Yeah. And see, they, they flip that around because then later in Rohan, uh, you have Gandalf's weapon not being taken from him. So right. so I don't know. Is that the same in the book? also or is that the switch was yeah, that the so, kind of switch to they did so in the book like all their weapons you know like legolas is like this is a bow from the lady of the woods like so no one wants to touch it because they think it's cursed and his sword is the sword that cut that oh and, so uh, they each kind of have one that they're yeah. like oh, okay well you know gimli's <laughs> axes and then so gandalf gives up his sword which is he gets in the hobbit uh the the orc slayer or whatever and they want to take his staff from him right because he's yeah. going in to talk to the king and this is really interesting because the king is being poisoned through word magic by saruman he's like under so he's all decrepit and old and not really being a good leader kind of like the leaders we have today with a puppet master pulling the strings behind them and uh so yeah like, worm tongue was yeah. was was the vehicle for that manipulation and I mean, the name says it all, right? Right. Uh, Grima work, Grima work, worm tongue. Worm tongue. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, uh, so he's pulling the strings. He's poisoning his mind. He's just, Theoden looks a lot like, kind of like Joe Biden, just kind of sitting there, not really doing anything. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. Uh, he was sleepy Joe for sure at yeah. the wheel. And uh, so he's like, do not let Gandalf bring his staff in. And when they get to this, the gate and they hand over their weapons, uh, they're like, we need your staff. And he's like, you're not going to, part an old man from his walking stick like come on that's just rude now at this point don't don't take my walking stick and so they go in and then he uses the staff to break the curse of saruman and theoden goes back to his like normal kingly state and worm tongue runs off and, mm -hmm. and, and head for, heads for the hills and winds up finding his way back uh back to his master mm -hmm. uh, saruman and and later on that that comes comes back to bite Saruman, you know, yep. <laughs> again later on, which is super cool. Um, <clears throat> so the the hobbits they escape into Fangorn Fangorn Forest after after uh, the Urukai they're ambushed by the Rohirrim, mm -hmm. which is the the horse lords, right? Um, so so we have these like two parts of the story kind of going on, and they almost they almost merge together right here. Mm -hmm. You know, like you have. Um, you have Aragorn and them seeking out Rohan, like mm -hmm. on a different trail, and then you have uh the the hobbits escaping into Fangorn Forest, running away from these very same horse lords that Aragorn and uh you know the rest of the the Fellowship are gonna run into mm -hmm. shortly after this. So they're like they're like constantly just almost crossing paths with each right. other. It's and like right just there. near misses yeah and and i mean man just that in itself speaks a lot to life like when you start living life for the experience and 
opening up to the things that are happening, seeing what's going on and going, wow, that's, that was weird. All right. Like, yeah, all these so then like, they, they synchronicities and, and that they have the same kind of a simu, sim, sim, uh, similar situation here where they're like, Oh, like, no, sorry. Like, um, we didn't see any, any hobbits. And, and if, if they are, they're in that pile of corpses over there. Right. And then, so, so Aragorn goes over and he's like looking around and this is where that, that other part of the tracking comes in kind of what we were talking about earlier. I think it's exactly what we we're kind of mm-hmm. touching on earlier where he's like, all right, I'm going to track. Uh, let me see if I can feel this out. So he's vibing, he's touching the dirt, smelling the ground, like all this crazy, awesome tracker stuff. He busts out like the whole, you know, ensemble of moves there, ear to the ground, sniff the dirt, taste the air, you know, all these different things. And he's like, not idly do the leaves of Lorien fall, you know? And then like, he picks up that little brooch off of the ground. He's like, you know, it's like, oh, they're still alive. Oh, they're still alive. And then he finds a rope and it's like, see, a hobbit was here and he cut the rope here and then they ran and he finds their footprints and whatnot. But. Yeah, and, it's like, and they escaped into the not into Fangorn Forest, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and everybody has this idea that this old like, like and this is this old growth forest, super old, like ancient forest, um, all kinds of tales of crazy happenings of people going missing. I mm-hmm. mean, like, like, dude, it's like it's like the National Park on drugs, bro. Like, right. <laughs> it's just heavy duty psychedelic national park missing 411 yeah it's all you know this is that that for them yeah for sure <laughs> so they they're like oh and and at that point i mean they see that they've gone into the forest but they really don't pursue that that avenue they they continue to to kind of go along with the well we need to speak with the Ro- rohanians first and they right, kind so of they... go back to rohan or were they taken captive by no, the horse no, no. lords so they, no they were escorted but they weren't taken captive right no, so they they go into the forest to search for mary and pippin and uh they meet they end up meeting gandalf in the forest that's right okay yeah, so they meet gandalf crucial. in the forest he comes back and there's uh they go to attack him and uh he just like renders their weapons useless you know what i mean <laughs> like legolas bow shoots off in a different direction gimli's axe goes flying aragorn's blade like heats just up fly- oh yeah that's right he drops it yeah uh-huh and he, like he sounds like saruman in the movie and they're like it's saruman right and then he's like yes i am saruman or what saruman was supposed to be right then, right because he was he's white and dressed yeah. in white and and uh so you know what i i always wondered about that was all right is, does that mean saruman has already come back from that other side or, or did he achieve his white wizard status differently? Right. Like, right. Yeah. That's interesting. So, I so it doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't really get into, you know, um, and I don't know, maybe there's, maybe there's more about a Saruman that I haven't really found yet, but there's, um, there's a lot more on Gandalf than there is on Saruman. Um, and it's, it's like that with, with the, like, dualistic nature of these characters there seems to be a lot more like personal information on what we would consider the good characters yeah. than and there's a lot more mystery surrounding the negative aspect characters right and you know like they just kind of come out of nowhere like 
like the good characters you have the maya and then you have like you know the the larger people so the the human like you have this certain hierarchy with the dark shaded characters you have like top of the top rung you know like uh oh what's his name not gorgoth well yeah gorgoth and 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 i mean um i keep wanting to say marduk but it's not it's Anyway, you have this this hierarchy of about three different levels of evil, mm-hmm. and then you get you know the third level down is Saruman, right? right. And and like, but I so think you have he that. was he was one of the originals though that came, and he was the white one, and he wasn't because when they're talking to Treebeard, he's like Saruman used to walk around in my woods, you know, he was a good guy at one point, right? So he was a Maya or or you know an angel or you know an, I don't know not an elf, but. A yeah, magical, yeah, a magical person. <laughs> yeah, and he was a magical person. He was good, but somewhere down the road, he got corrupted. And they kind of hint at it in the in the movie, where it's like he he takes this like almost like realistic approach. Like we can't defeat this evil, so we might as well join it. You know what I mean? Like we can't. Destroy yeah, he does. He right. does the Elon Musk of it. If you yeah. can't beat him, join him. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, that's an interesting comparison, Saruman to Elon Musk. That's a, <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. Oh, I don't know about kind of the same thing. I mean, everything that we're shown and have, you know, nowadays is, is like a cheap knockoff of something that has happened before. Everything's mm-hmm. happened under the sun, you know. So, mm-hmm. but um, but no, like there's, I I don't personally buy any of the stuff any of these tech lords have to say. It's all pre-screened and you know pre-filtered yeah. and everything well that's um, sarman was the first tech lord man he's making all this industry he's making bombs he's making yeah dude manipulating digging, the weather up the earth yeah dude all man and just just raping and pillaging of mother nature mm-hmm. um to drive that industry and yeah he was he was the first you know bill gates or or tech lord or dude like all wrapped into one i mean this guy went beyond fauci bro like this guy was creating his own Mm-hmm. Oh, you cut out because you said the magic f word <laughs> but uh yeah so that'll just mean a little icon under under this episode that has nothing to do with any of that but mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. you know but yeah that's funny though you can see how that how that happens and and you know i know that the folks out there listening to us are probably aware uh you know that everything that is said or done over the internet is going through a filter. And if you don't understand that by now, I'm sorry. You don't, I'm sorry. You don't read the terms and conditions, but that's part of it. By using this, you're giving us this. Right. Okay. So that's what we're doing guys. (laughs) Yeah. We're, we're just handing it all over. Um, And, you know, hopefully, you know, I used to be really on the fence and kind of shook up and scared about saying a lot of things. Then I started realizing, holy shit, dude, like everything's monitored and has been for 20 years. Right. Everything um, you look up, everything like I'm at the point where I think everything you think, because like I've had situ- situations where I haven't even said the words out loud and shit's popping up on my phone. Like we just moved and I was thinking I didn't say it out loud. I was like, I got to order a pod, you know, the the moving pods or whatever. Yeah, and I'm not. I kid you not. The next day I'm scrolling through Instagram and I get a thing for pods like i didn't speak this out loud i just thought it oh yeah they, they've they definitely got the wave patterns down mm-hmm. for certain thought processes and i think it depends on 
what type of maybe technology you have. Uh, although as complicated as phones are now, it could be several generations of phones that have had the, the ability to pick up on those EMF waves mm -hmm. right and like after looking into old world and seeing like what fractal antennas are designed for the different wavelengths they're meant to pick up and things like this it's not a far cry from reality um or from you know technically being able to pick up on your 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 own electromagnetic frequencies we're all walking giant walking magnets mm -hmm. toroidal little fields and you know these phones are in our pockets they're on our person all the time um all it would take is a is a very small sensor with a certain type of antenna to pick up those vibrations. And yeah, dude, I'm with you on the uh, especially, you know, things, f platforms like Instagram, um, Facebook, you know, all of these that you give the permission to to, to collect and send your data. Mm -hmm. um, that means all data. That means anything the sensors are picking up. They don't have to tell you that your sensors are are picking up your brain waves. Um, right. And, you know, I used to feel nuts for thinking that, too. But there there's a lot that leads me to to kind of understanding that everything that we're handed is a Trojan horse. Right. Mm -hmm. Like like everything. It's like here. Here's this like, oh, and guess what, guys? We know you're locked down, you know, um, but here's this vehicle to speak with each other, you know, through the air and through quantum time, like in real time, guys, all mm -hmm. across the world. And you're Black like, oh, mirror. okay, everyone eats it all up. And we're, and here we are pouring our data into this machine. Now, I don't think that that makes the, like the, the mechanism of collecting all that data inherently evil. I think that's part of what we're all here doing kind mm -hmm. of is like having the experience. But maybe this is just like, a backup log for a further simulation at some fractal point in the past or future, however it works. But, but yeah, so they, they escape off. I was getting off. So I'm just yeah. re reroute. They, mm -hmm. they escape off into Fangorn forest and they're just kind of like hiding out down there and do, do some of the, the orcs that are chasing them down, they, they get killed off by these forest creatures or do they just lose them in the forest? Um, so in the book it's the guy's name is Grishnok and it's the same like orc in the movie he's like trying to capture them because uh Mary and Pippin are trying to like tempt him right cuz they figured out that they think they have the ring and uh this guy knows they have the ring he doesn't really know what it is but like he knows that a hobbit is carrying this thing so he uh when when the fight breaks out and the the Rohirrim come in and they slaughter all the orcs, this guy escapes. Merry and Pippin escape into the woods. He's pursuing them, and then uh, he goes to grab them, or whatever. And then Treebeard wakes up because in the movie they climb up the tree, and uh, he's just about to stab Merry, and Treebeard wakes up because Pippin screams, and then he just stomps on him. Right, picks them <laughs> right, up, yes. picks them up, and uh, now he's like, "What the hell are you two things?" Like right, your little orcs, he calls them, I think. Yep. Um, He's like, what is this? Like, I've never heard of a hobbit before. What kind of orc mischief is this? And then... Uh, See, and that's yeah. kind of wild in itself, right? Like, this old growth ent entity <laughs> mm -hmm. um, is, is, like, kind of inferring that maybe hobbits are a newer species, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he's never heard of them. He's, like, the oldest in the in the forest, and only knows of orcs and men right like yeah. so so like 
man, it's it's like another throwback to this. I don't want to call it evolution of species. It's it's an origin of new species, and there's a lot of that going on in this this yeah. uh, you know mythos. Um, like right. in the very beginning, you have the the Maya then create the elves, um, and then you know the uh, the were the dwarves created before the elves. The dwarves were created after the elves, but before the men. Before the men. And, right. and they were created by... Well, you know what's interesting, too? They, they, they were created by the, the the lesser secondary god, not the... Not uh, the, the dwarves were by Ole, I think. Right. He's He would have been the the one... Which is in, it's kind of sounds like Odin. Ole. <laughs> Odin. It, and, yeah, it's, it's weird. Like, so he creates... He creates the underworld, basically. Mm-hmm. So so that's like right like before there's any good and evil yet in that whole realm, you have like the the Maya, you know, creating situations like the the two trees of light. Mm-hmm. So they're they're setting the stage, you know, really for everything for man to come on the scene. But man's not there yet. It's just the elves at this point. And what's yeah. interesting is uh, Treebeard at one point says like this was in a t- like he says something about a time when the men were still asleep you know what I mean like kind of implying that like all these races or you know creatures were already here at some point and they just need to be like kind of woken up like and that gives credit to like the biblical story that God created Adam from the dirt of the earth and st- you know what I mean it's just interesting for sure dude for sure and, and like it gets even weirder like when you look at real real life tales that are are coming around today there's you know some circles that are looking at antarctica as being a a frozen kind of cryopod situation has been reported by some people Mm -hmm. uh, going on down there with large people frozen in cryo chambers in stasis and that's what they're hiding so that's just one of the thoughts that's out there so Mm -hmm. you know is it is it does occasionally humanity go into hibernation other you know entities or or folks come out and play in this realm um or you know inadvertently intermittently does everything get mined repurposed and and then stage reset um you know i'm inclined to think that on a higher level materials don't matter like gold mm-hmm. doesn't matter you know, all of the things that we find valuable are fucking useless when you reach a certain level of of being right. Like um, when you finally get to the point where, you know, you're in a different dimension than this and everything is energy. Um, it's not it's not a big deal to create an element that is just material, like all it takes is time right? right? and certain processes. So if you're outside of time. You know, it's not going to be a big deal if you need to wait a million years for gold to be created in this realm. Like you're just going to be like, nah, I'll, I'll grab it tomorrow. That's tomorrow to me, you know, operating on divine time, like outside of this bubble, you know. And I always think of like uh, games like Warcraft with that, where you like you need to harvest lumber and then you like click on the tree and it takes like 30 minutes to harvest the lumber for the building and you just walk away. You come back. You know what I mean? It's like. Uh, I always think of us as like, if this is some type of like simulation thing, like are the people in control just uh, like you said, just clicking. Does, <laughs> yeah, they just click. Yeah. Okay, we need gold. So they click on a, a gold mine on the map and then come back and 
three thousand yep, years or whatever and 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 yeah and then they've got this this vast horde and the weird thing about that is like you know when you're playing an rpg and you're collecting the gold or the they're the money mm-hmm. that gold goes from within the rpg world to your credit counter like mm-hmm. and and thereby just becomes a number so mm-hmm. <laughs> so is that what's happening is this why we don't have the golden fort knox anymore like is it being i think so beamed off planet you know much like in uh much like in battlefield earth with john travolta you know how how they're like sending resources that are mined back through these portals to home planet right mm-hmm. <laughs> i think it could be something a lot like that uh, dude, too again it's it's they tell us a lot of truth and fiction so stuff like that does well not and that's scientologist me. stuff too yeah. there's there is a significant amount of what we can call truth in scientology like in in those fictions mm-hmm. um i don't think you know i don't know man i'm on the fence about lord xenu and the soul collector you know in the sky um i do know that this time around i'm probably not going to follow into the light you know that's just i have i had a weird fucking nightmare when i was a kid about falling into the sun. And I think it was a dream of being born or forgetting mm-hmm. everything again or something. It mm-hmm. was just utter fear, dude. Like, like the worst fear ever woke up in a sweat and screaming like either that or I was abducted by aliens. I don't have the balls to go get a, you know, hypnosis. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to do that, but I had this weird dream about falling into the sun. That's the only way I can, you know, level it out. And then after seeing, um, you know, <laughs> movies like uh, poltergeist and, can't get into the light <laughs> like, right have they been subtly telling us and then i look turn on gaia and find out that uh at least through these ufo groupings of people these secret space people and everything supposedly there is a tool or an implement in place that up until very recently has been harvesting souls and it has been in the guise of a bright light you see when you die and just like moths to a flame most people go there and then that kicks them back into the, the reincarnation loop here on this plane. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe maybe a lot of us have been kind of stuck here. That's why it does feel a little bit like a prison. And it feels a little bit repetitious a lot <laughs> for a so. lot of I people. Mean, that explains deja vu. It explains uh, so many, so many things, man. Like, yeah. The biggest thing that I've noticed that's super weird is when I interact with certain people or meet certain people for the first time ever. And I'm like, how the fuck do I know this person? Like, yeah, like I feel like I feel like I've maybe not known, but definitely have locked eyes and and considered a thought in in view of this person before. Like there's just a certain level now, whether that's part of the simulation and the algorithm is just tricking us or what it is. You know, I don't know. I'm inclined to believe that it's more like inception than we're like really allowed to believe. And that, yes, this is like a dream within a a larger kind of paradigm, but it it could very well also be that we are just inside of like a cell. And this one cell is the time bubble we live in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of our activities in this little cell are creating the energy that another cell needs and comes and, takes from us or or whatever the situation is like a weird layering kind of like and i always go back to like men in black when they show the marbles they're playing with the marbles that are the galaxies yeah i think that's about as close to like a representation of what's probably really going on than anything else and like if you look at our technology and the way electronics work 
you don't see it functioning. Like you see the device, you see the microchip, but you don't see the electrons or, you know, the waveforms of electricity right. and magnetism. You don't see that stuff flowing through. So, you know, maybe like looking up and out of this realm, like that's kind of what's going on here. Like from outside, we just look like a speck, much like, you know, in Horton Hears a Who, we're just a speck, right? Like it's mm -hmm. not a big deal. It's all good. <laughs> and maybe there's a giant large elephant carrying us around on a dandelion out there. Like, we or really don't or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Turtles, a big one. That's that's a big winner for a lot of cultures. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's and it's crazy. So like so much fun to, to think and play with those thoughts and ideas. But like to try to come at it from a place of of love and understanding as opposed to like fear, because that can be scary, dude. Like mm -hmm. you start throwing out there the hey. We're just a speck on a dandelion and an elephant's trunk, you know, like you start throwing that out there for people like on a real level. Like, no, seriously, <laughs> they're going to be like you fucking nuts, dude. What are you talking about? That's just a kid's book, man. What do you mean? You know, again, truth and fiction, man. Truth and <laughs> fiction. Dr. Seuss was probably mm -hmm. highly connected. With oh, definitely, dude. Mm -hmm. He was a doctor, man. Mm -hmm. You see what the medical, <laughs> medical situation is. Yeah. He was a doctor. So we, sure. we, we get back to, um, they find Gandalf, Gandalf meets back up with them and now Gandalf the white. Mm -hmm. Um, then they go, this is when we were talking about, they go back to Rohan, uh, you know, the capital Edoras, mm -hmm. um, and they have that interaction with the weapons and he removes the curse from Theoden and, um, I guess Aragorn, Aragorn stops uh, Theoden from executing Wormtongue, mm -hmm. which I don't, I mean, well, you know, it does pan out for the good of everybody later that he mm -hmm. let him go. So there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. um, but he, he learns, uh, flees learning of Saruman's plans to destroy Rohan. So I guess he'd had, he didn't know, Wormtongue didn't know that his own master was plotting basically his destruction and the destruction of the entire area mm -hmm. as he's got him in there manipulating the guy. So he thinks he's like safe and fine. Mm -hmm. And what does he do? He still turns tail and runs right back to Saruman who just was about to destroy him mm -hmm. anyway. Like, you know, obviously doesn't care about him, but he Stockholm syndrome, useful you know, idiot. Yeah. 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 He, he gets all Stockholm on it and, runs back to Poppy Saruman mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I, I'm in just like every, every other aspect of these, these stories and these tales, there's a validity, like on a personal level to that, like everybody mm -hmm. on this world is guilty of very similar behavior to a certain degree, whether you were younger or you're really old and started to forget yourself or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, we all do a little Stockholmy kind of things sometimes when we're done wrong by somebody like going um, back to your day job every day <laughs> yeah yeah so we're all we're all heavily you know <laughs> torn down mm -hmm. uh weekend on the weekend yeah uh so so he he takes off to run back to saruman and yeah. uh then they I decide guess... basically that they need to flee to helm's deep because they uh Got to get out. But something that's cool is uh, the uh, Eowyn, Theoden's uh, niece there. She's like, you know, my father remembers you. He's like riding with my grandfather. This is to Aragorn. And 
this is when we find out like Aragorn's age, like how old he actually is, and that he's part of this Numenor bloodline, which has like crazy long life for a man. And uh, we find out he's like 87 years old, and like he was fighting in battle with the king of uh, Rohan's father back in the yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's wild, dude. And he looks still looks like he's in his 20s or mm-hmm. early 30s, you know, but he's he's, you know, at least another lifetime older than all of the current like humans. Right. So it's weird. There's a weird thing going on there where where the people are living shorter and shorter lives, like mm-hmm. kind of like is suggested with with where we are now. And mm-hmm. and it's it's crazy. So like that would put Aragorn like in the the status of like Noah and Noah's sons, you know, living, living exponentially longer than. Yeah, I think he, he lives to be like 210 by the end of the the series. You know, like, oh, so that's a, that's about the middle. That's maybe not quite so far up as like Noah, as we're told, but maybe a, just a couple generations removed. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I think Noah was like 700 or something. Some yeah. obscene number, um, you know, 900, but... but yeah, he, uh, so when, if you did the genealogy, I guess, so Isildur, the one that cut the ring, I think is his like great, 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 great grandfather, like four or five grandfathers back. I could be wrong on that, but it's yeah. So, so four or five, say a couple hundred years average each, like a thousand years prior uh, so this ring's been around for a thousand plus years. Well, wait, so sitting no, at the... they tell us. So yeah, it was 3000 years ago because Elrond tells. tells okay. That so that's, that's suggesting then that the generations before Aragorn were longer lived very similarly to like what we see in our, our stories, our origin mm-hmm. stories. We see this, like go back further. People live longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, man, that's crazy. You know, it, it really makes me wonder about, <clears throat> like the time scale of events like everything for us is relatively quick paced the news that we get you know from the other yeah. side of the world comes to us immediately um therefore we don't need an 800 year lifespan to take in all of this information and make all of these choices that we all make within like 80 years you know right. all these crazy choices based on all this information so if you like go back before computing and all of that, you have a very like analog, much slower process of like information, you know, digestion. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's maybe that's part of the reason why we don't live so long. Aside from you know radiation and everything else, right, whatever's all the, going on, the toxins that they <laughs> pump into us on a daily basis. Yeah. So so Helm's Deep is a stronghold uh, that's like built into it's like built into a mountain. Yeah. Or then, or like it's like a, in a weird valley, like in this corner of this valley built into this mountain. So it's like a, a great stronghold. But, you know, there's no way out for these people. Like when they when they go over there, um, you know, it's a beautiful looking place, massive. But like they get in there and their only solace is like, well, these walls have never been breached. Like that's the only thing they know. Mm-hmm. Um but like just like any kind of siege situation, man, I would not want to be with my back to the wall without a way to escape. Like that seems like yeah, kind of a weird redundant thing, maybe a, a leap of faith by them for going there, you know, thinking or believe. And they did. They thought and they believed that they would have some assistance from the outside, um, whether, you know, it be Frodo or 
They just believed that, you know, Gandalf was going to come back and help them. Um, you know, they have like, these little subsets of different people believing different things uh, within this tale also. But yeah, so Helm's Deep is is pretty crazy. This was like the first epic battle that yeah. we were like we were shown, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in, in this series. Um, and man, I remember when it when it came out that that battle I did that did not disappoint. I did no. not fall asleep during that battle. It was epic. Yeah, and um, they did it. They did a good job in the movie because in the book, it's not uh nearly as epic you know it's a pretty it's, short it's a pretty short kind of thing the book's more focused on like the development of the characters the conversations between those characters mm -hmm. and and there's like a, a bit more like nuance in the characters in the book but man they nailed this battle um visually man it's just it's amazing just so badass and then like <laughs> So right before that, they get attacked by the Wolf Riders as they're going to Helm's Deep. And that's not part of the book. That's just added in. It's a cool scene. Aragorn falls down. So they have to give some type of, you know, uh, that never happens in the book. But uh, he comes back and these a lot of the people there are not like warriors. You know, they're like arming children to fight at Helm's Deep. And, yeah, uh, yeah, they've got all the all your average people because they've cast out uh, that vast majority of the horse lords. You know, yeah, back when he was under control. That. Yeah, I guess we did. So when Worm Wormtongue was manipulating, uh, Theoden, yeah, they yeah. banished his uh, nephew, uh, Aomir, who is uh, uh, leading the Riders of Rohan, and I forget if it's like a thousand or. It's most of their army, right? Yeah. Their standing army or their their cavalry. Um, so they're just like, no, you know, you get out of here. He gets out of there, uh, and then later later runs into to Aragorn and them off by the forest, like we were talking about, where mm -hmm. the the hobbits took off from. But um, so yeah, they they're chased down by the Balrogs, or not Balrogs, uh, the Wargs, the Warg riders. Yeah, which man is another epic kind of visual there mm -hmm. um these giant beasts being ridden by beast people i mean man it's just insane yeah. so yeah they're they're chasing them down uh they get to helm's deep and they're preparing for battle and legolas is like everyone's gonna fucking die here you know what i mean <laughs> like this is hopeless and then uh right and aragorn had fallen and it, and so they just assumed he was dead yeah. I guess. And then he comes back and they prepare for battle. They're arming like young children with like weapons and stuff and old men. And, well, and this is this is uh about the time where Gandalf had had bailed off again, right? Yep. Took off again. <laughs> Goes Look in. for me in the light of the fifth day or whatever. And... Yeah, yeah. And in the, the dawning of the sun on the third or fifth day. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so he takes off to go and do some more pushing of chess pieces, right? Some more yep. tiny manipulations. I forget exactly what he winds up doing in that time. Um, I think he... this is when he goes to tell them about Saruman. Is that so he runs off before they depart? He he gets shadow facts the the horse lord there rides mm -hmm. him out and in the in the book he's rallying all the surrounding villages of rohan you know what i mean right in the movie right. movie he's tracking down the riders of rohan and getting them to come to battle and then uh so they they preparing for battle it's not looking good 
uh, all these orcs are marching in. 10,000 orcs are marching into this little valley and they're just lining up and they have this technology. They have these ladder systems and pulleys and they're pulling up on the wall and a bunch of siege engines. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty, pretty epic. And just, yeah, as long as far as you're like, I could see it's just this massive army. They're making tons of noise mm-hmm. being super intimidating, which and man, then- I don't know about you, but I would be shitting a brick if I was in this, <laughs> this yeah. deep in this you know corner stuck yeah. in this corner with that outside my door yeah. i don't know i don't know that that i could man i don't it would be a tough decision be like all right do we lead our people to like death out in the open you know from all sides or, or do we just like pile into a corner and and you know have Hope a little bit of holds. faith right yeah. like and you know i think that this kind of speaks to kind of a recurring theme in humanity a lot of us choose to back ourselves into a corner mm-hmm. <laughs> and and just kind of wing it on faith you know like no it's it's all good you know like everything happens for a reason and and that may very well be the case but like like it's a tough decision and i think we all kind of make that that decision do we back ourselves into a corner um do we stand out in the open and face our fear right like which in this particular case would have led to absolute massacre because it's mostly women and children out in the open. So they, they, I think they maybe made the right decision to run off to Helm's deep and, you know, kind of bunker in there at least maybe buy some time and, you know, be hopeful that these other legions and these other, other groups would come in and help them, even though they had been out of, out of touch with them, a lot of them for an extended period of time due to, you know, Wormtongue's tampering with Theoden, kind mm-hmm. of disconnecting him from the other different families or factions, you know. Um, and, and of course, there's a lot of tribal infighting, just like every society in humanity yeah. seems to have. Yeah. Um, you know, the horse lords didn't get along with those in Gondor, Gondor and and so on, even though they're all men, you know, you, even though they're the same species um, in and a world of many species and they still don't get along. And Right. And that's emphasized in the book. Like Saruman is like he's getting these hill people. He's rallying all these people up and they show it a little bit in the uh, extended version of the two towers. He's like going around like a politician rallying people up. Yeah, he goes war- off to the east and, and gets these these like assassins from the east. And they've got these interesting trimarine uh, trimaran like sailing ships. They're bringing yeah. elephants. I mean, they're they're bringing all this to the table. and. Like that, that comes out a little bit more in the next one, Movie. doesn't it? Like yeah. they don't, they don't rock the elephant war until the 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 third the, the third movie. But you do see it in Frodo and Sam's tale. So that's Sauron calling in the armies from the east. So you see them marching in. To... Oh right, as they're as, as they're on the stoop of like uh, Mordor, and they're, yep. they're watching them kind of come out. That's right, that's right. So that's what separates it from the situation at Helm's Deep. But it's it's happening at the same time. At the yep. same time as Helm's Deep is happening, the Orakai are going to kind of lay waste to that. Uh, you also have this other mobilization happening way beyond, way behind the scenes, off in the east. Yeah. And man, that that evil coming out of the east thing is is also a recurring theme in, in this world. Um, yeah, you know, you can look at communism as kind of coming from the east. It definitely seems to have, even though I think that it was the brainchild of something far Western. 
Mm -hmm. uh, then we're allowed to really understand. But um, yeah, the evil coming out of the East. Um, and then the and, whole thing is like, they're coming from, you have the Orkai's coming from Isengard, the one tower, and then the other tower in uh, Mordor. That's where the East is all coming together and it's all going to siege in on Gondor. So Rohan has to fall because there's a scene where Saruman's going over the whole thing. Like once Rohan falls, then we march towards Gondor and then the, the Black Gate opens and all of them come out and we're just going to wreck uh, from, all from of Gondor. multiple angles, yeah. yeah. And then uh, so they're at Helm's Deep. They're preparing for battle. It's not looking good. And then, you know, miraculously, an army of elves comes marching in to Helm's Deep which doesn't happen in the book, but it's epic in the movie. Galadriel sends a army of archers and they all line up and they're real warriors. And then they're all standing on the wall. And then it's just this big epic battle. Someone that's, shoots. That's interesting. I, I completely uh, missed that in, in the audiobook, but you know, I was spacing out on it, but um, so in the, in the book, then they managed to stave off this, this massive onslaught just the children women and a very small army in mm -hmm. helms deep which is the reason they went there right i mean yep. the reason they went there was because they they felt they could hold that yep that so front they, and so they, in the book then only the only relief they have is from gandalf from gandalf who uh winds up running into aragorn uh out there was it so it so gets it's a, a little bit confusing. Yeah, yeah, it's a little different in the book. So like uh Ar or Gandalf gets Aomir, the horse lords, and he gets um not the Westfold, Edera. It's another another surrounding tribe. He gets the tribes to come in and they hold it off. But it's basically like Aragorn and uh just whoever the king had in the main village to come down. And they're they're surrounding it. Um, oh, they 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 arrive. Eomir and Gandalf come with the Rohirrim or or the horse lords, right? The, yeah, the ones that had been banished before. Mm -hmm. The um, riders of Rohan. And yeah, that's... they they scoop them up, and then they come on that third day uh, in the rising of the sun, or the, the you know what? I'm not sure if it's the third or the fifth, but there's you know that Christian symbolism there on the the mm -hmm. rising of the third day, the return of of. Uh, you know the the Christ figure that and it's, you know in the movie it's epic because like you have so there's so many things going on at the same time but at the end of the movie you have Gandalf come riding up on the hill right so Aragorn rallies the people inside they all charge out the gate uh with the king and everything and they're charging out and then as they're charging out of the gate at dawn uh Gandalf comes riding up over and as he's riding up you see his staff is right in front of the sun and it's just this bright light that just blinds these orcs and then all the horse lords come running down and they just take out everyone yeah it's super epic and and you know there might be something to the the gandalf kind of using the power of the rising sun to help uh help decimate these forces so um, you know, there's there's a lot of crazy tales about sun-based weaponry and, mm -hmm. you know, um, the the Archimedean death ray. I mean, so there's a lot of different kind of ends that are tied together here uh, and, and put together through the character of Gandalf. So that's interesting in itself. Also, the tale of 
you know, uh, of Jesus being the son, mm-hmm. right? S-U-N possibly. So there's a lot of that kind of hidden symbolism in there, which is really cool. And I think that that's something that's so interesting about all of the different characters and different like archetypes within this book, man, they're, they're like echoed in so many different ways. And and that's just one of them. Yeah. And isn't in revelation, like Jesus comes in riding on a white horse, like with a flaming sword. Is that, am I making that up? I'm not sure uh, about that or if it was something to do with, with the angels. I'm not super well versed on, on all that. I I spent a little bit too much time focusing on the Apollyon and (laughs) and Mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the different plagues and all the different kind of, uh, you know, right. Weird, weird, like earthquakes and like all of this other stuff that I've been focusing on lately is like those, you know, connections. Mm -hmm. I'll Um, have to dive deeper into it. I think again, I could be wrong if I am just tell me, but I think there's like this idea that Jesus is going to come back with a flaming sword. And I think that that is a concept that, that is, is pretty prevalent, um, you know, in the return of, of Christ. Um, and in that, or it's just the the return of, of divinity or of like mm-hmm. goodness itself. And I think it, it echoes a little bit differently depending on the scripture, you know, right. that you're, that you're looking at. Um, again, I'm not a hundred percent. That's, that's not something I, I dive into too hard. I try to look at all of the different spiritual kind of teachings as, as tools mm-hmm. um, because they've been so heavily polluted with like isms. Mm-hmm. You know um, that that it's it's a divide and conquer tactic. You know to to be unfortunate uh, for sure, but it's definitely you know been manipulated in the sense, much like everything else, to convince us a certain way of thinking and uh, of behaving. But um, but but ultimately, though, like you have this representation of Gandalf as, and you could even say it's like kind of tied to Luciferianism if you wanted yeah. to, like like the light bringer, right? Like mm-hmm. he comes across this, he comes down this hill, bringing the light, you know, thereby mm-hmm. saving humanity, which, yeah. you know, if you ask some people, they would tell you that that's exactly what, you know, the, the uh, otherwise known as fallen angel Lucifer has done is illuminated humanity, right? right? So it really depends on who you talk to. And that's, that's kind of the, the weird, interesting, like duality of like all spiritual teachings, mm-hmm. like, if you ask somebody in this party, they'll tell you the opposite of what somebody that's backing the other party will tell you. And you kind of have the the same thing here. And, but you also have the same like disagreements between these different groups of people. If you look at like the, the Rohanians and the Gondorians, I guess, if you will, Mm -hmm. if you look at these, you can look at these as different, different faiths almost. Mm -hmm. Um, They have a different set of understandings, each of them. And, and ultimately, like they all feel that they're fighting for good, you know, um, but they have like a different perspective on it, which causes them to like go at each other about it. So um, whether that's like a byproduct of these rings uh, of this, you know, underlying manipulation or poor leadership, <laughs> right, or pur- purposefully manipulated because mm-hmm. uh, we see that with with gondor like the steward of gondor boromir's father is kind of like we find out that he's being corrupted through the uh crystal ball the palantir and uh he's just like steadfast on like holding 
Gondor, but like they don't have the people to do it. You know what I mean? And he won't like let his younger son command anything. It, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, he's just the king of this this pretty much fallen empire, um, and he's refusing to accept that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he's in denial, which is you know another huge uh, kind of aspect of of life uh, yeah. that you know we go through when we're we're dead set you know, against certain things because of things we've been taught or, or have learned, Um, you know, so it's tricky. It's really tricky to navigate all of these different aspects of ourselves and, and of the world around us. And I think that this, this mythos like does a very good job at demonstrating through these people, uh, these different like aspects of life. And, and that's, man, it's, I can never get tired of, of reading this and, um, and listening it. to it and watching it. And every time I do, I see something different within these characters that, you know, is a direct like correlation to maybe something I've been going through or have gone through. And so like every time in my life, when I stop and rewatch and re-listen to this, um, I'm hearing and seeing something different, you know, and I, I didn't always have the perspective that I do today. And tomorrow I will have a different perspective. Mm-hmm. than I do right now you know and the next time I, I go to look at this when I go and listen back to this episode a year from now I will uh, recall and hear different things coming out of my own mouth and out of yours that that maybe I didn't process completely this go around so it's it's really interesting like how these stories evolve with us yeah you know it's it's incredible really and and it just speaks to to the genius and and ultimately to the organizational skills of these folks that are, are compiling all of this stuff for us. Like mm-hmm. it kind of speaks of a hidden understanding, <laughs> you know, if you ask yeah. me, it's not, there's no way all of these correlations between the people, the archetypes, the emotions are, are just coincidence. Like, no, this is masterfully written, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's, it's incredible. And, and every, you know, everybody, I challenge you to not find something relevant, each and every single time that you crack this book or, uh, yeah. or watch the movie. And so, so uh, that leaves them, you know, battling for Helm's Deep, which they wind up being essentially successful. There's a whole lot of death and carnage. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, the, the gates at Helm's Deep are breached for like the first time ever. Um, they use explosives, which is pretty cool. Like these giant grenade things to, to blow open the sewers underneath, um, which, you know, in a, in a weird way could be something that maybe happened in the past with these star forts and these citadels that seem to have been everywhere. Um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe something birthed in, in China, like we're told as gunpowder supposedly was by the alchemists in China made its way from the east alongside that evil, you know, and was carried off into the west where, you know, it led to the decimation of all these star cities or these citadels, which may have very well been very similar to Helm's Deep and may have been, you know, these fortifications kind of embedded in the land um, with essentially unbreachable walls unless you go through what we're finding now is underneath all of these old cities is aqueducts and features that are allowing for plumbing and the movement of water. So maybe some of these 
these tunnels and things were used by this this darkness or this evil complete with their their gunpowder to help facilitate the end of these citadels so maybe that's a part of the story that we're that we're seeing here um but you know in in this tale uh the good wins out or holds out at least um gandalf gets back you know bringing that shining light and the morning sun or the morning bringing that morning star with him right so it could mm-hmm. be you know a throw into luciferianism um which i mean if you ask some people uh you know the god of the bible is is right. actually satan or you know uh, and it depends on who you person. talk to again yeah it's, exactly it's crazy interesting but then like so meanwhile and we cut back over to to Gollum leading Frodo and Sam and they go through this area and it's called the dead marshes. Yep. And, and this is the place that they tell the us original. That, yeah. The original they, battle of the rings took place. Right. And see, they tell us that these mar- these marshes are like, uh, are his way of, of explaining about like the battlegrounds of world war one. But the, the way that it comes across is of a previous you know, mm-hmm. decimation of a previous war having nothing to do with the war that they're currently in for this taking the ring. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, so it's a completely separate previous thing. And, and they're like passing over the, the ruins, uh, you know, much like many explorers and, and crusaders maybe had passed over these previous battlegrounds and encountered these wayward souls and, uh, you know, and, and there being like this residual kind of energy about the place that draws people into madness or, you know, leads folks to believe that the area is cursed, much like like much of Siberia mm-hmm. is considered cursed, right? Like you right. just don't go there because it's cursed land. Um, you know, perhaps this is kind of a representation of an ancient battle that took place. And there's a lot of wayward spirits out in that area, you know, who knows? Um I mean, until I'm able to go and explore those, those dead forests and, you know, (laughs) all Mm -hmm. these crazy mountains and stuff that have these tales of, uh, again, more disappearing people, um, weird time things happening, but these dead marshes are super fascinating because like Golem tells, tells Frodo and Sam, like, don't look, don't look into, don't follow the lights. You yeah. know, he's like, don't follow the lights. Like there's these weird little glowing things under right under the marsh. And again, I tie this marsh to Siberia because the whole tundra up there is like marshland. And and that was part of the big challenge of like supposedly of armies going and, and taking over Moscow and then later St. Petersburg was the traversing of this mucky marshland that that they had to cross over. And so, you know, I, I pose the question, is this marshland uh, unnatural and man-made in the event of a giant war? I think that that's a possibility. And I've thrown some stuff out there, you know, on my on my YouTube and and stuff about, you know, a lot of the parts of Earth that we look at as natural. These little pocket lakes and all this, they're called karst lakes um, and, and all these different round lakes are these remnants of old explosions and things like that so that's a possibility too so this dead marsh might be kind of a suggestion pointing us at what we could consider factual places nowadays like the marshes of you know outside of saint petersburg and moscow and all of these less traveled areas of the world but they they get through the dead marshes after 
Frodo falls in and is almost taken down by the the dark spirits or, or the the wayward souls that are like mm-hmm. kind of existing in light form underneath this this marsh. So he almost gets sucked into it. Golem saves him. And uh, you know, that makes Sam kind of like, well, maybe Golem's not quite so bad. But of course, Sam realizes that that Golem is operating in his own interest. Right. Uh, He's just trying to protect to the, the ring. ring. Yeah. He doesn't really care about Frodo or anything like that. But uh because it's interesting, like you see Gollum's like true intentions when they're traveling and uh they get captured by Faramir and the the like I guess Rangers of Gondor. So Yeah, yeah, the Rangers of Ithilien. Yeah. They were called. Um, yeah. So they uh that's when you see the big elephant scene and they're coming in, they're marching in, and all of a sudden they just start dropping dead. And you see these rangers popping out behind uh trees and stuff, shooting them. And then Frodo and Sam are watching the battle. And while they're watching, Gollum, his senses go off or whatever, and he's like, I gotta get out of here. And he just disappears, and Frodo and Sam get captured by Faramir, who's Boromir's brother. Mm-hmm. And uh there's like this weird moment where like he's like you knew my brother and blah blah you know what i mean like you knew my brother what if i told you my brother was dead and there's this weird trippy moment where because faramir's very like seerish like you know he's learned from gandalf he's got some magical qualities to him and it shows this dream state in the extended version where he uh has a dream where he sees boromir's boat like that he was buried in or put in like sailing down the river and then his horn washes up on the shore so like he doesn't know he's dead but he knows he's dead you know what i mean right he has that that very similar connection that that we were speaking of earlier with frodo and gandalf Mm -hmm. having that that kind of relation to each other over distance and Mm -hmm. you know kind of passing time so yeah that's that's a very you could call it magical thing for sure um it's it's crazy and and then so uh Faramir like kind of convinces Frodo by by threatening Gollum by saying, "Hey, come with me. I found somebody." Right, and he right. goes, takes Frodo out to to where he sees Gollum smashing some fish on the side of a creek. You know, um, yeah, because he originally uh, asked him like, "Where's the sweet so so good to eat?" And you know, <laughs> and he's yeah. all smashing this fish, and he's about to have his archers like assassinate this guy, and then assassinate golem and then um you know frodo's like no um he's bound to me and i'm bound to him you know through the ring and this is when he kind of divulges to faramir what happened mm-hmm. uh, you know with his brother and how his brother had begun to fall for the ring and tried to kill him and so that's where like it, that kind of all comes out in the wash in that moment but they do they do wind up capturing uh golem i i mean yeah, Frodo has to like trick him to get him. Like, come on, Smeagol. It's okay, you know? And he like like you would get a stray dog to come back, you know? He, yeah, he... and they shackle him all up and, and he's flipping out, <laughs> flailing mm-hmm. all around because he's got this the shackle on his neck or this rope around his neck and it burns him, you know, and all of that. So man, I, I gotta say something though that about the the guy that played Golem. Uh dude, that guy really nailed it. What a trippy character. I don't know if you've ever watched the like the extras where it shows uh how he was like learning to behave like like this golem creature. Yeah, he's a and he's an incredible dude. actor. And again, <laughs> like 
say what you want about Hollywood and stuff like that dude is the CGI guy. I mean, he's done every he was in Planet of the Apes. Uh, just just every any character that's like a CGI character that guy plays and it's wild. Yeah, it's it's nuts, dude. And it takes man mad skill. I got nothing but but love and props for for these folks that are. I mean, just in my daily life and your daily life, I'm only portraying one character for the most part, maybe two, maybe three sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, these people dude, like that's got to be like crazy hard on your psyche after a while, you know, (laughs) to like, like how often does he revert to being Golem, (laughs) you know, in his daily life? Well, I think that's why that scene was that scene was so good when the where Gollum's fighting with himself because I mean, we've all had that like internal dialogue where you're just like one side is arguing that, you know, they show it as like the devil and the angel on your shoulder and you're just fighting with yourself internally. And he's doing it because he's so demented and whatnot. He's just doing it out loud in the middle of the woods. And where most of us keep that, (laughs) keep keep it inside. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, man, it's just, there's so many cool like things. And, and, even like now the CGI still holds up pretty darn good, you know? Yeah, definitely. Especially the um, extended versions uh, had a little bit more detail to them, which were Mm -hmm. really, really cool. Um, I was one of those that like, as soon as those extended versions came out, I bought them up dude and had them for a while. Another side note too, if you're interested in getting the, uh, this isn't a promotion or anything, but Andy Serkis, the guy that played Gollum just released within the last couple years or whatever, all the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit on audiobook, And it's freaking awesome. Like it is worth the audible credits to get those versions because he does a voice for every single character. Yeah. That's and- the one I was listening to and it is spot on. I, I can, I can second that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean the, the, all of the voices are, are spot on. You would swear that, you're like listening to the you're movie. watching them yeah and, and like it, it caught me off guard at first i didn't realize that it was the same guy but that makes tons of sense because he just nailed golem like mm-hmm. to a t and i was like wow that's interesting you know um but i didn't really pay attention to it i should have known that they would get you know the cream of the crop to to narrate that and uh you know it, it takes some doing to be able to put on all those all those costumes you know even just vocally that's mm-hmm mind-blowing stuff dude i think it said it took i don't remember if it was like a year to record like each one or or it it was something i believe it they're like seven and ten hours some of them uh or like i think it was like four and a half or five hours for the two towers no Um, they're they're long man they're 20 hours a piece Oh yes, yeah. I don't. I was listening to it for a hot week, so uh-huh. <laughs> so like there, that's, that's some time and dedication. And then you had the Hobbit. The Hobbit's like ten hours alone. I think it's the shortest one. But yeah, dude, it's it's incredible. And you know, I'm not promoting like anyone in Hollywood, but if you're gonna get the Lord of the Rings audiobook, definitely get this one by Andy Circus because it. The, the original one that's on there is just boring as hell. It's hard to listen to, you know? Yeah, yeah, I believe it. There's so much jumping between characters and and personalities. Um, yeah, it's super important to have that that kind of that background in, in the voice itself, mm-hmm. um, especially if you've ever seen the movie. 
tons easier to deal with the audiobook and to process the information when you're hearing it put across from the different characters that you've come to know and understand through the movies mm-hmm. being shown in the in the audiobook. I think that that's huge. And there's you know there's enough difference between the film and and the books that you know it warrants a listening. You know, mm-hmm. it definitely warrants uh go back and look over um now it takes a, a little bit more to like absorb the interactions when you're just listening to the voices and not not seeing it also. Um, but it helps with him portraying all these characters the way he does to mm-hmm. to really put you, you know, right in the in the moment and in the perspective. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely nails it. And that makes tons of sense that that's who that was, because, man, it's on point for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and so like. Faramir takes, uh, you know, the the uh, he takes Golem and he takes uh, Frodo and and Sam to Gundor, right? To to bring to bring the ring to his father Denethor, mm-hmm. who is uh, who is the the steward of Gundor. So he's kind of sitting on that broken throne, right? Like. Yeah. Um, because Gondor hasn't had a king since Isildur, you know what I mean? They've only had stewards, and like you can just see kind of like the broken political structure without, like yeah, it, yeah, and it's kind of demonstrated through through the like, I you know I know that the white tree is shown as just kind of like a dead tree, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that that symbolism is important also. Mm-hmm. You know, they're showing that that this is a dying a dying area you know or a dying uh dying kingdom Mm -hmm. and uh so so frodo explains to to faramir a little bit you know the the nature of the ring sam helps to explain that and and then that's when he learns about boromir being driven crazy you know by the by the ring itself and Mm -hmm. like right in this moment when they're like explaining all of this uh to faramir uh, another like situation breaks out and one of the attacked, right? Right. Like, right. And one of the ring wraiths comes um, nearly captures Frodo. He's all calling out to the ring. So Frodo's tripping, mm-hmm. you know, he's like all in that liminal space tripping out. I don't recall whether or not Frodo puts the ring on. I think he does. In I don't in think that he part. Or was that remember. the previous part? Yeah. So I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but um, I don't think he puts it on, but I think he's like walking out there. Like with it yeah. in his hand, and Faramir like runs out and grabs him or something. Like, oh shit! Like shit just got real. Like, you know. And then he decides like, I'm gonna basically sacrifice my own life and let this little guy go. <laughs> and yeah, they do his see task. they see that there's that that they've got the resolve and and recognizing that he doesn't quite have that resolve. He's like, all right, you you guys can go ahead and continue because uh, I can't do it for you. This this is you know painfully obvious that there is so much more than just using this ring. You know, much like um, much like Boromir had had thought, I can use this ring and and you know use it for good. Um, Whereas, you know, Faramir is like, no, I can see that I can't use that for good. So, you know, you guys go on your way. And and so, you know, in the whole the whole tear jerking kind of scene, uh, you know, about them fighting for the good left in Middle Earth, um, integrated like with Frodo's resolve leads Faramir to releasing them. And 
so meanwhile, meanwhile, Golem kind of kind of makes a decision after being recaptured. Right. He has another conversation with himself uh, talking about and this is like kind of close to where it leaves off. Um, Golem's like, well, I will betray them. You know what I mean? I will yeah. lead them. And he and he and he says, I will lead them to her. Right. Um, and this is a right as they arrive at a place called Sirith Ungol, which is like in the mountain like in this other yet another mountain <laughs> yeah um and it's pretty cool we'll just put out there what the her that he's talking about is is this giant spider queen uh, she loves the spider up. but i think that goes they don't meet her until the not until, until the next, the next one. one yeah but but yeah so that was that was about about the end of it when he starts talking to himself so it sets the stage for that next, next betrayal in the next movie so I'll give you something to look forward to um all the while you know over in helm's deep they're kind of cleaning up after the battle yeah um, and then the third part too is the ents the ents go in and they just wreck isengard that's a big scene too the ents go yeah to they war. flood the quarries and yep. and put out all the the fires of isengard and and then like this is where the book gets a little different because it really details the conversation that um that Gandalf has with Saruman. Saruman and I mean it's a lengthy conversation it's definitely worth listening to it's it's a bit since you're dealing with somebody doing just the two voices of Saruman and of Gandalf it, it gets a little bit kind of touch and go on the differences in their in their uh in, in their the way but that they speak it's pretty incredible because like but there's a lot to that conversation it, it goes on for for a while and i can't pretend s- to remember all of it yeah but. like i mean we we'd have to break that down in a separate part we're probably going to wrap it up here soon but basically it's two wizards fighting with word magic like and you see how saruman can still like manipulate people just by talking like he's even getting like the people that came after this battle they all just fought together and he's starting to get them to turn on each other. And then Gandalf has to come in and like break his staff and silence him basically. Yeah. So, yeah. And Gandalf doesn't seem to want to, you know, he, he doesn't seem to want to completely snuff out Saruman, mm-hmm. which, you know, it speaks to his hope, mm-hmm. right? Like, like in his, his belief in, in, uh, you know, higher benevolent kind of power. Um, but ultimately, you know, he realizes, no, I, I can't let Saruman maintain his 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 hold on on all of these people and of this area um, mm-hmm. because Saruman's just going to turn around and do it again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he breaks his staff and I he doesn't he doesn't wind up killing him. No, uh, not until that that time. I think that's in the, the is that in the following movie when when it shows like the whole situation with warm tongue and yeah yeah that's in the beginning of the return of the king okay yeah so we'll have to tack that down the next yeah. time and that's that's super cool too and it, it it'll tie into why why uh warm tongue was allowed to run yeah. away before yeah. you know and again like we talked about in the first one it's completely different in the book like saruman goes and corrupts the shire they don't show any of that in the uh movies but it's still pretty epic how they kill Saruman and Wormtongue. Do, you know what I mean? So we'll, we won't spoil that completely. I'm sure people have seen the movie already, but it ends on a pretty good note. It's definitely 
probably the most action-packed movie out of all of them. Has the most humor in it. Uh, ton of character development. Yeah, it's just um, it's just a great. Not one of them is uh, bad. I, I think the Return of the King is my least favorite out of all of them, but I think that's just because of the length. <laughs> it's like five hours long. Yeah, and and it has the you know the final love interest situation, which, to be quite honest, it, it's not super entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you start getting into like this long drug out romantic reminiscence and all of these things that happen in the Return of the King, and then like him. Him essentially falling for, uh, you know, the 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 next woman along, you know, takes a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, then the like wordplay with later on with, uh, you know, no man can defeat this person, and then it's not a man, and so on. So we'll get into all that, but it's yeah, it's they they did a pretty good job of tying it all together, even though it was a pretty lengthy kind of uh, finale. Oh yeah, it's there. it's epic. Um, I mean, it's still. Uh, this is my favorite movie trilogy of all time. I mean, it's it, there's nothing that, uh, in my opinion, that can compare to it. Um, but yeah, I, I say we wrap it up here because it's for about sure, two a.m. for me. Yeah, it's <laughs> getting on and on in the hours here. Also, I'm only an hour behind you. So, but much love, man, dude. I appreciate you getting with me and and us Hell breaking yeah. into this. I thoroughly enjoy. I thoroughly enjoy talking about this, and it's been a while. I haven't. I haven't been back on the you know the podcasting horse too much i spoke with davy last week we'll probably put that episode out this week um and it was just nice to get back into the feel of of having these conversations with people bouncing some stuff around and um you know as as always man i come out of this with a slightly renewed and different perspective on on the world and Mm -hmm. you know I, i hope that we can offer that to folks out there too you know to take a second look at some of the things maybe you had just dismissed as mere tales of fiction, you know, uh, a lot of what I've been looking into is like HG Wells and these other like kind of Masonic writers, like what are they, what are they, you know, encoding in like in this cryptic cipher that is fiction, right? Like it's just mind blowing, dude, all the interesting things that are out there that we're just told are fake or um, never happened. And I know. And I, and I mean, it's, you pick a, a region on the planet, they have a fictional tale that is relevant, man. And, and like, even if it's not relevant to today's time, like, even if we don't have magical towers and, and tree beard, you know, roaming the forest. I got one know, for it, you. Like, I got my brother into the whole old world stuff. And he's starting to look into like Phoenicians and whatnot. But I was like, do you, you know, like all these stories from the 1800s, like Oliver Twist and all this. I'm like, they're always in like orphanages and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that goes into the whole orphan train and the reset. And it's just oh, like, yeah, these, yeah. These little you know, little, little, little tidbits, you know. And and I mean, when you start looking at H.G. Wells, H.P. Lovecraft, yeah, all of these a- other just prolific authors of this this time right we, we might have to do a whole separate series on lovecraft too because yeah just... definitely i'm gonna have to start getting into to breaking into some of that because there's a lot uh casey from golden gate starfort command who's also in the old world uh tartaria thing i think right now he's in england as a matter of fact mm-hmm. um checking out some stuff out there but uh he did he did a a audio uh, audiobook cover of one of hp lovecraft's books yeah you guys go check it out go look up golden gate starfort command on youtube and he's got it right there along with some other old world stuff um 
but so he he reads through you know this audiobook and, and it's in an effort to put this information out there where, where it's available for folks so that they can uh help us to you know break some of these ciphers and find out what's really being said to us yeah. you know is, um, is lovecraft in the public domain i'm gonna have to look that up um I yeah like i believe so i i'm pretty sure you can now. find it on on like um Oh, there's a site that uh, Gutenberg.org okay. is where I've been finding a lot of a lot of these like HG Wells. Um, oh, what was the oh, other one that I found? Because if it's in the public domain, I mean, we could do like audio clips on a thing and we can read yeah. passages right from it without any issues or anything like that. So that. Would yeah, definitely. definitely. I cool... think that for sure, dude, especially Lovecraft. Um, you know, there's a lot about uh, possibly previous like decimations of humanity um the rediscovery of you know magic and things like this there's a lot of stuff encoded in in these writers work um mm -hmm. and and it's all of them dude it's uh you know like you were saying um um oh geez what was the the book you were just taught oliver twist yeah. all of these all of these tales that are later turned into disney movies yeah like <laughs> right? alice in like, wonderland and yeah just, all of that everything. stuff everything that ever turns disney has its roots in you know a previous uh occultism and stuff. occultism and, and just like Truth. tales of old um yeah. with embedded truths i mean it's it's all there and it's it's crazy so you know if disney gets their hands on it there's something worth looking into you know maybe don't read too hard into the disney stuff you might just find you know penis towers mm. but <laughs> but you know <laughs> so, you know you just got to got to go where where your your uh, intuition points and you know a lot of the time intuition is screaming at us when we're reading works like this and watching movies like this and we have a sense of familiarity or you know a a, a compatibility with certain characters and their archetypes like you know it's important to pay attention to that stuff and and you know play with it in your mind and learn as much as you can from it um you know, I'm sounding like an old man talking about learning from the Lord of the Rings, but for real, like <laughs> uh, it's it's not just put out there for our entertainment, um, you know, or to enter our mind. Right. Like this is what entertainment is. It's mm -hmm. it's their their way to enter your mind and therefore government, you know, govern your mind. Mm -hmm. So that's what a lot of this has to do. So you can take it at face value, run with it, be entertained. Or you can dig into it and be further entertained and uh, enthralled, much as we were tonight. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. This was a lot of fun, dude. I, I, I hope we don't wait, you know, four months to do the next one. <laughs> yeah, it won't be too long. Um, no, I'm going to we'll start. Anyway. I'm going to start on the audiobook for uh, for Return the Return of the King, King here yeah. pretty soon. I've got like several credits on my Audible. So that's going to be the next one. Um, but yeah, this this last couple months is a little bit of a reprieve for me. Um, Same have, here, man. Have been able to put out a, a few pieces of information on the old world subject. I'll probably dig a little bit more into that um, as time goes on. I really enjoy sitting down and looking at the stuff, and then meanwhile, like recording some of the thoughts on it. So that stuff will be out there. But definitely, like I want to get through this trilogy so that we can take a closer look at the Hobbit because mm -hmm. there's a lot in the hobbit with with what with the dragons and the treasures and you know the initial uptick of evil that warrants looking at um and then and then even after that man we've got the similarian which is like probably its whole other 
<laughs> several episodes part so, series. so it's amazing and it's definitely something that 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 people dig you know people um are fascinated by these tales um oh another one that i did recently was had a bit about john jacob astor the fourth who wrote uh oh what was the name of the book I can't recall. It was right along the lines of the war in the air, like HG Wells. Okay. Um, and he's got a few other stories out there, but this is another prolific, you know, Masonic call it writer, mm -hmm. uh, you know, early 1900s. So there's, there's a lot to it. I, I really, you know, hope that I can encourage folks out there to take a look at some of the literature that our old English teachers way back in the day were trying to get us to look into um 1984 being you know a crucial one for this point in age you can kind of see everything that's going on in the world through the eyes of folks 150 years ago and it, you know makes you really understand not even wonder but understand that there's a certain design to all of this you know um by looking at stuff from 150 years ago it, you're finding out what's happening today so that tells you that by looking at the art of today, maybe you can kind of project that out and see where where we're going to wind up. It, you know, things that were being drilled into like Minority Report and things like this. That was almost 20 years ago now, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing some semblance of pre-crime stuff going on now, you know, with the thought police and everything. So it's, it's this weird <laughs> revolution that's going on. So pay attention, folks. It's... It's a lot more interesting when, you know, not just your eyes are open, but, you know, open your mind and your heart to try to have some fun uh, with this madness that, that is going on in the world. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, that's all you can do. You know, all, all you can do is try to enjoy yourself, spread love and, and hope to others where you can. And, um, you know, aside from that, you know, be be well and and live in love, everybody. That's it's really Really, all you can do, try not to get too bogged down by the politics and, and the madness, because there's plenty of that out there. Turn off the CNN, turn on a podcast, listen to <laughs> us chab about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Amen to that, man. <laughs> right so. on, brother. Well, much love, man. Uh, we'll wrap it up here. And uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. This has been Random Randy and Nico from Upstate Unconventional, wishing you all a good day. Rock and roll. And that's the show, folks. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, you know what to do. Send me tons and tons of money, cash preferably. Um, I'm just kidding. The best thing you can do is to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and click the five-star button on Spotify. Uh, that really helps the show grow. And yeah, I love every one of you. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this. Check out Random Randy's uh, podcast and Instagram. And just have a wonderful existence. Do something nice for someone, you know? Just do something nice. And don't ask for anything in return. That's all I'm asking for, you know, my listeners. Just do something nice and see what happens. Don't expect anything to happen, though. But just make the world a better place, I guess. I don't know. Don't be an asshole. I love you. Bye.